Hi, KBT fans. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We just want to take a second here to tell you about our Patreon campaign. Support from our listeners is what allows us to keep making this podcast. Because it turns out making a podcast requires money. So please, if you have a second, head over to patreon.com slash Talk, where you'll find bonus content for contributors. For our first bonus episode, we're doing a holiday special covering the 1999 Tom Cruise classic Magnolia, which, trust us, you do not want to miss. So visit patreon.com slash Talk for details. Which brings us to the first time we see one of my favorite characters, not just of this franchise, but of all time. Benji. Reggie. What? (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) Benji. (laughs) So bad at names. (laughs) It's Benji. Hi, everybody. This is Kim and Billy Talk, Mission Impossible. We are here this week to discuss Mission Impossible 3. I'm Kim. I'm Billy. All right, let's go. Okay. So um, before we get into the movie itself... um, Where do you want to talk first reactions to this movie? You want to get it out right here? Yeah, let's do that. That's better. Um, So I watched it for the first time, and I actually don't think I had seen the movie in like as a whole before, because the only part of the movie I remembered was Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I don't know if that's because I saw clips somewhere, but I just like, this was like watching a brand new movie for the first time. Okay. I'm 99% certain I have watched this movie with you before, but that's fine. You know what? As I said it, I was like, I'm lying. I think I have seen this movie before. I just don't remember why I couldn't remember the plot points. Well, I think we'll get into this. I think this movie isn't quite as memorable as some of the others we're going to be looking at for this series. Also, I'm so sorry that I completely forgot a time we hung out. It's all right. It's not that important at all. Hashtag French. I'm not upset. Okay, so all to say, I watched it for um, the first time in my memory right. last night. Some things were familiar, and I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman was excellent. Yes. And otherwise, I thought it was just okay, and in fact, I was a little disappointed by it. Yeah. But then I started reading the news. Of, well, not the news, but just like the history of how yeah. this movie was made. And then I compared it to where Tom Cruise was at in his life at this time. And I went, holy shit, this is fascinating. Yeah, I, I was kind of in the same boat. I had fond memories of this movie. I think this is the one that gets looked over the most. And I've often thought about that as kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've generally liked this movie. But going back, watching Mission Impossible 1, watching Mission Impossible 2, and both of those really growing in my esteem on the rewatch really made this one uh, a little disappointing. Yeah, especially after last week, where I think it was clear to all how excited we both were. Yeah, I think I broke my record for saying the words greatest, best, and fuck (laughs) in one two-hour sitting. Well, and like you know me. You know how big a fan I am of J.J. Abrams. And then when I found out that the reason why J.J. Abrams eventually was approached for the film was because Tom Cruise binge-watched the first two seasons of Alias, I was like, yes, there, Tom Cruise, that's my boy. Yeah, I, 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 I want to talk about J.J. Abrams because this is like the start of an important moment in yes. uh, Hollywood history. But yeah, I don't know. I thought this was more competent, a more competently made movie than Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Maybe has the best acting of the series. Okay, well, we're going to come but, back to that because I feel like there's a lot to dive into yes. each of those subjects. But should we start by saying the impossible mission of getting this movie made? All right, let's do it. Okay, so um, 
first of all, Mission Impossible 2 did so well was, I think, as we established last week, like best performing. Was it the best? Yes. Highest grossing film of 2000. And um, so obviously Paramount um, is eager to get started on the next Mission Impossible. Um, Tom Cruise goes on to film Vanilla Sky, Minority Report, as they're looking for a He has a a pretty great run here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then um, he and Paramount agree in 2002 that David Fincher is the director for the job. See, I, I had no memory of the fact that he had been attached to this. Reading it, like the only logical outcome of David Fincher directing a Mission Impossible 3 movie is that he walks away midway through. Yeah. That's the only way it works out. You look <laughs> at David Fincher and Tom Cruise, who are both guys who are really used to getting their way on a film set. Mm-hmm. I can't see how they were ever going to work together. There is something that is a little sad to me about what could have been. I think David Fincher is a guy, right, who often his movies depict toxic masculinity at its worst and Mm -hmm. people, you know, debate back and forth. Is he endorsing this? Is he critiquing this? Is he just depicting it? And I think if that had been applied to a guy like Tom Cruise, who has been plagued his entire career by questions about his traditional masculinity, I don't know if it would have been good, Yeah, but it would have been the movie that launched a thousand gender studies Big pieces. <laughs> what could for have the rest been? Of time. Yeah, I personally think I'm sad on the missed opportunity to hear Tom Cruise deliver the first rule of IMF: is you don't talk don't about don't talk IMF. about IMF. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, David walks, um, citing creative differences. Yeah. Um. And then the next filmmaker approached is Joe Carnahan, um, who I think is most famous for his movie Narc. Um, and I was actually a little offended by this because as I was looking into Joe's time on the set, he referred to Mission Impossible 2, which we both so dearly love, mm-hmm. as a parody of a spy movie. How dare you, sir? This is the man who made Smoke and Aces. <laughs> and if you want to talk about a parody of, like, genre film. No kidding. And also the story that they were apparently going to film for the third one sounds so Much. political, intense, like, boring. And, and, oh, okay. I was going to say better. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think it wouldn't have been a Mission Impossible movie because it would have had to have really taken its subject matter seriously. So so which potential movie are we talking about? Because there are, there are a couple. So it was the privatization of the military and Africa. Right, and was, the selling of body parts, right? And yeah, the villain was going to be based on the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh. Okay. So you, you, I think you've done a little more research into this than I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you confirm or deny the... Uh, internet trivia I found, which was that Ang Lee was attached at one point. I didn't actually read that anywhere. Okay, but so I'm going to I don't doubt it. Uh, just blindly repeat IMDb trivia without any work to confirm <laughs> it. IMDb reports that at one time Ang Lee was attached to do a prequel that would have brought back Emilio. Emilio. Now, that is the version of this movie I want to see the no kidding. absolute most. Oh, my God. You know what? There's still time. Emilio's still time. kicking. He's got a new film out there now. Uh, dear listeners, help us make this happen. <laughs> uh, yes, please email Ang Lee. <laughs> and Emilio. <laughs> and Emilio. Subject line, mission, CC Emilio. See Tom Cruise, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that does sound interesting. Honestly, I just thought if you're going to make a movie about privatization of the military and Africa and base a villain on a real human who caused all this pain. 
I don't know. You you can't be a goofy Mission Impossible movie. Like you have to be you. What is that Leonardo like Blood Diamond? Like that's yeah, the movie you're making. We will get to politics later in this movie, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think there's ample evidence that maybe this series can't support the heavy political ideas that nope. some of these screenwriters wanted to bring to it. They want to stick with a nice little rabbit's foot. <laughs> but the <laughs> the other thing is that. You know, what I had read is that many previous drafts wanted to include Nia Nordoff Hall coming back. Right. And then when she, when, when Tandy Newton said, nah. Um, nah to Nia. Yeah. <laughs> nah to Nia. Um, they had written in Carrie Ann Moss mm-hmm. in a role that it, you know, it's not clear that she would have been an IMF agent, but would have been some sort of kind of. Badass. badass with agency because she's still coming off of matrix at this time right yes um and then when mr abrams came on board that role got cut and i don't for the flip in life of me <laughs> understand why anyone would make that call i think it was um more a reason of scheduling conflicts and the fact that the roles carrie moss and scarlett johansson and um Oh my God, British guy, Shakespearean. What was yeah, his name? Yeah, that one British Shakespearean that narrows it down. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes, yes, They yes, were yes. all the original cast of the film. And um, so the reason why uh, Joe walks is, again, because he was trying to make this very serious, focused film. Um, he had been given a budget of, I don't know. Wait, something as serious as Smoke and Aces. Yeah. <laughs> He'd been given a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, it's probably more like, 200 million but he basically was on track to make a 50 million dollar movie and the studio was like no we want a blockbuster so Hmm. again it's early 2000s harry potter is out there lord Lord of the the rings Rings. you got star wars spider-man like they want a huge blockbuster film they don't want a version of blood diamond starring tom cruise yeah it it's it sounds almost like it was more more in line with the born movies yeah at the same time exactly so in 2004, Joe decides to walk from Mission Impossible 3, again, citing creative differences, blah, 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 blah. Just had to make smoke and aces. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not not going to let go of this. Um, And so Abrams comes on. And this happens less than a month after Joe walks. And this is following my delightful discovery of the fact that Tom Cruise binge watches the first two seasons of Alias. Like, been there, done that. I love the idea of Tom Cruise binge watching anything. It's really hard not to fall in love with Sidney and Michael. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Abrams, this is his directorial debut, and it's Mission Impossible 3. He's going to have a huge budget. Obviously, he says yes. Um, And I think it's also a sign of the studio and Tom Cruise's trust in him that they allow an even further delay to happen because J.J. is finishing Alias, and he's also working on a pilot for a little little show you might have heard of uh, called Lost. Yep. And so um, while that's happening... uh, I don't know which comes first, but I do know that Tom Cruise signs on for War of the Worlds. Which, when was the last time you watched that movie? Probably a couple of months ago. It's honestly one of my favorite movies. That is an amazing movie. It's like, so I, good. I totally looked over that movie when it came out, but it, Tom Cruise is in a really amazing period as far as picking projects and performance. Totally. So it's like he's working with Steven Spielberg. Yep. This is for the second time yeah. post Minority Report, but he's also in his early 40s and it's the first time where he kind of, he's not playing a villain, but he's playing like a deadbeat dad. Like his character in that movie is not a hero. Yeah. And you know what? There's so much more I could say 
like say about that. We're going to save it for the episode when we get to, to War, War of the Worlds. Worlds. Yeah, It'll okay. be worth it, guys. Right. Keep yeah. listening. We got to get Patience. to that episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So Tom Cruise is busy and JJ is finishing up and he's realizing this the Mission Impossible movie he wants to tell is vastly different shock from Joe's. Yeah. And so the entire script gets reworked. Um, can, I, can I ask? Yeah. D- does he bring on Kurtzman and, and Orsi? The screenwriters? I think so. Yeah. He because No, go ahead. That's like that that marks a huge shift in the tone of this movie in these of this series, right? Like the past two, you have Robert Town on board, who's mm-hmm. like very old school, like uh kind of dad movie. And there's there's a there's a seriousness there that whether it works for you or doesn't, you know, is is reaching back to a certain kind of, of thriller or suspense movie the guys who are best known for Transformers and Star Trek have mm-hmm. like a different aesthetic, right? Yes. And so I, I think they have had a real lasting impact on this series from this moment forward. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, as the script is being reworked to match... Scrap that, all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Disagree, but... <laughs> okay. Scrap, um, scrap one good thing that I will mention that I think okay. is missing, but I'll, I'll put a pin in that. Yeah. But we lose the original cast, so um, we lose Kenneth, we lose Scarlett, we lose Carrie Ann Moss, and in their place, um, well, not in their place because entirely new roles are written, we get Philip Seymour Hoffman, we get Michelle Monaghan, and we get Lawrence Fishburne. Which, I'm not going to hide any of this right now, Philip Seymour Hoffman over Kenneth Branagh, fantastic. Oh my God, yeah. Michelle Monaghan over Carrie Ann Moss, can't comment on it. (laughs) <laughs> really, 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 really like Michelle Monaghan. She's got nothing to do here. Well, and that's not her fault. That's right. the movie's fault. We'll get into she's, that. she's put in a box. Lawrence Fishburne, just wait. <laughs> that's all I'll say. <laughs> Are just you going to say over Scarlett Johansson? <laughs> oh, right. I guess that's right. I guess that's who he's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, sure. So we've got a new cast in place. A new story production finally begins. And now the movie is slated to hit theaters in May 2006, a full six years after Mission Impossible 2. Which is wild to think about. Mm-hmm. And now I think this is maybe an awkward segue, but 2006 comes after 2005. And if you know anything about Tom Cruise, you know 2005 is the year that just his life his career explodes. He will forever be judged by who he was pre-2005 and who he is post-2005. Every book written about him is going to have a chapter on 2005. Yep. His obituary, may it never come to pass, will, you know, in the top three paragraphs, they're going to mention this year. Yep. And so this year is the year that Tom Cruise parts ways with his publicist of the past 14 years, Pat Kingsley. And... I believe the reason why he eventually parts ways with um, his publicist is because he wants more freedom to talk about his religion, which is Scientology. And um, it came up in a big way when he was touring for The Last Samurai, which happened uh, a few years prior. And um, publicist says to him, you know what? If you want to talk more about your religion, that's fine. But this press tour is being paid for by Warner Brothers, so don't discuss it. And he doesn't, and I think that gets to him. I think that wrinkles him a bit. Yeah, and I've I've also heard that she might have said, you know, I don't think this is playing super well with the public. Mm-hmm. Because when, when does the Brooke Shields comment happen? So I think 
It, it, it all happens in 2005. So there's okay. a 33 day press tour that Tom Cruise goes on, which just incinerates his. And is this career. for War of the Worlds or for this? This is for this movie. Okay. Yeah, for Mission Impossible 3. And um, I don't know. I think so. Here I am heavily referring to uh, the Tom Cruise book that I read by Amy Nicholson because she just does a really excellent breakdown yes, of this, what this, happened here. This podcast, heavily indebted to Amy Nicholson. Yes. Um, Amy, you're part of the reason why we decided to do this podcast in the first place. Read so her work, listen to her podcast. Buy Fantastic. her books, yeah. yes. Um, so she has an excellent section on understanding, um, first of all, what the media landscape was like, especially in, in relation to celebrity mm. news profiles. So... Pre-2005, it's, you know, it's still very much a print-based media where, you know, if you want to report on a movie or a star, you go through a publicist. And Pat Kingsley is just known as a pit bull who protects Tom Cruise's reputation. Celebrities aren't on Twitter. Exactly. And Tom Cruise has been very private. His private life remains under lock and key, but his public persona, he'll talk about the movies, he'll talk about all Mm. the effort, but doesn't talk about his private life except for these, like few pieces that he feeds out, but they're always the same pieces, which is, you know, he moved a lot as a kid, his estrangement with his father, his dyslexia. Right. Overcoming dyslexia seems to be a very big thing for, and, and rightly so, right? Yeah. yeah. And then somewhere in this time period, he also gets divorced from Nicole Kidman and mm-hmm. that is splashed everywhere. But the only thing he says about it is it's one quote, Nick knows what she did. And Oof. I mean, like there's something in there, like... It seems like it's he's entirely saying it was her fault, and no. I doubt that's the case. But um, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about which one of them won the publicity war afterwards, she sure did. Well, especially so now um, it is two thousand five. He is gearing up to tour for this movie, and he has a new publicist. It's his sister, Leanne Devette. Oh, and they are just so wildly unprepared. For had, the media landscape as it is right now, had, had she been a publicist prior to this, or I have no he's just idea. Just like sis, step in. Well, I think she was probably someone who was part of like his crew who supported him. Oh, okay. And if he's saying I want to be more vocal about my religion, for one, she's clearly. But she might have been like the turtle instead of. <laughs> <laughs> How's yes. that for a 2006 joke for you? Entourage <laughs> on point. Yep. Um. So they don't know how to deal with Perez Hilton TMZ. Mm. And, um, I think they were cluing into the fact that because people are seeing so much more of celebrity inner life, Tom Cruise decides for the first time to open up more about his personal life. Mm. And he opens all the way up yes. and opens exposes more than most celebrities ever have a lot of crazy. And it starts with his, visit to Oprah where he infamously jumps on her couch professing his love for his girlfriend of one month who is 16 years his junior Mm -hmm. Katie Holmes and he goes on Access Hollywood with uh, Billy Bush yikes and um, questions Brooke Shields decision to go on antidepressants while she's experiencing postpartum depression yeah and now like I you know I want to be clear here like just a second ago we we said he unleashed the crazy. You can believe in whatever you want to believe in. You know, like, I'm sure I believe in plenty of stuff that if Tom Cruise heard it would be like, that's dumb, asshole. But, <laughs> but like, what he did with Brooke Shields is, like, the one truly unforgivable thing. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're a dude telling a woman what to do with her body. 
Second of all, most of his information is coming from, well, no, his opinion is formed based on his beliefs in Scientology. Which, and is factually incorrect. Like, yeah. So I, I guess we should recap. If you don't know what this is, what happened? Yeah. Well, um, you mean what happened in the interview? Yeah. So, so Brooke Shields had just given an interview, right, talking about postpartum depression, mm-hmm. um, which at, at 2006, like, I, I'm not sure I'd even really heard that term before that. I was yeah. also... I like was a nineteen. Twenty year old boy. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> I was more concerned was, I wasn't with like oh my god researching what I'm yeah. at university. <laughs> but like I, I feel like that's a term people are are pretty familiar with now. Mm-hmm. And, and even back then, like not so much. And so this was this was a really important interview and she talked about going on antidepressants, right? Yeah. And um so he comes on and says wrong. Uh Here's my opinion on your biology. I am a man who cannot ever experience what you are biologically experiencing. Also not a doctor and haven't examined you. No. <laughs> and then he starts talking about her career and just like, what happened there? Which is so condescending. Yeah, so he's stigmatizing all people on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And yeah, talking about someone's career where like, Mansplaining. you know, especially as we have seen over the past year, the reason that certain people's careers stop, and especially women, could it be due to factors that you don't know the first fucking thing about? Yeah. So shut up. Yeah, and people at that time, even though maybe we weren't as well-versed in women's rights and talking about depression and things like that, they're mad about it to the point that Tom Cruise at all realizes he has to issue an apology. And so he goes on the Today Show with Matt Lauer to (laughs) apologize. Wow. I (laughs) forgot that part of it. Holy shit. Yeah. Man, 2006. I know. (laughs) And so he doesn't apologize, really. He um, says he refuses to say that using antidepressants are all right. And he defends his stance by saying, and this is a direct quote, you don't know the history of psychiatry. I do. I don't know what Matt Lauer had to say that. I don't really care. But we do know that in 33 days from Oprah's couch to interview with Matt Lauer, he's just ruined 20 years of solid work in the industry. Has anybody else in recent memory gone from such a position of respect to such a target of derision based on just comments they gave during an interview? Like, I can't think – like, obviously – me too mm-hmm. has changed the status of a lot of people, but not like this. This is unlike anything I can remember. Yeah, and here's the thing: like lots of celebrities do have moments where they say really offensive, startling things. Um, oh my god, Jason Moa saying something yeah. about getting to rape really attractive women. Yep. I'm sure he meant it as a joke, but that's me being very generous and giving him a lot of benefit of the Jeremy doubt. Jeremy Renner, who we'll talk about next week, said all sorts of things on the Avengers tour. Yeah, but I think it was just for Tom Cruise. Like, with those actors, they're lucky. It's one-offs. Like, and I say this, I'm not respecting them. Or, like, this is just objectively, it was a one-off. They experienced a lot of media negativity. They went quiet and And presumably back. they had a team who like cracked the whip, right? Whether yeah. it was a publicist or a manager who said like, you messed up, you got to go fix this. Yes. And in this case, Tom Cruise, we know he has his sister. I don't yeah. think she's very good at her job. Um, and not only is he experiencing all this public backlash, but Paramount, who had been looking for an excuse anyways to put a bit of distance between themselves and um, Tom Cruise's production company, mm-hmm. uh, Cruise Wagner Productions, which is responsible for the Mission Impossible movies, um, 
Sumner Redstone, I hope I said his yep. name right, he's the chairman of Paramount at the time, and he says that this media blitz that Tom Cruise went on likely cost MI3 between 100 and $150 million. <laughs> and it made less, about 80-something million dollars less than MI2. I mean, that's probably fair. Undoubtedly, this cost the movie money. I know I didn't see this in theaters, and that likely had a lot to do with what I felt about oh going gosh. to a Tom Cruise movie. But like at the same time, this movie was not going to make Mission Impossible 2 money. This is not as good a movie. It's not as easy to talk about. It's not as easy to advertise. There's mm-hmm. no big stunt like The Rock Climber. It just, I don't think it was going to happen. That's an interesting amount of money too. I forgot two of the best parts. And I completely okay. agree with you. I don't think the movie merited, um, you know, Mission Impossible 2 money. But there were two other things that kind of screwed this movie over. Uh, like a side, well, no, the second one is totally in relation to Tom Cruise. So I'll start with the Tom Cruise one. Trapped in the Closet, an episode of South Park in which they just harpoon Scientology. Tom Cruise yeah. plays a character who ends up literally trapped in a closet at one point. Which um, is like... So frustrating because there were so many fair targets about his behavior to go after. And it ends up being a 30-minute long gay joke. Yep. So Tom Cruise has had to defend his sexuality far too many times in the media. And this joke is entirely, one, he's a crazy person for being involved in Scientology. Which, fair. Like, attack the man for that. Yeah. And then, two, he ends up in a closet because he's afraid to come out of the closet. A literal Yeah, John Travolta joins him in the closet, which is just really, really go for the jugular. Subtle social commentary (laughs) that uh, those guys were were into. So, um, Tom Cruise, well, allegedly, Tom Cruise. Yes, this has been, we don't know who made the order. Yeah. But But he says to Paramount, I refuse to go and complete my my contractual obligations to you. Tom Cruise disputes this he says he never said that yeah but like you know and then you have people saying tom cruise like is challenging free speech now Mm -hmm. which you know for someone associated with a a religion that has certain authoritarian or perceived authoritarian um attitudes yeah not a great look no like just hurts him even more it's just it's one mistake after another yeah And so now this mistake is entirely Paramount's fault. And this one makes me laugh a lot. So I want to end on a lighter note here. Okay. So as part of their marketing campaign for MI3, Paramount rigged 4,500 just randomly selected. Oh my God, I read, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Los Angeles Times uh, vending boxes. And so on the vending box, so these are the the machines that you pull the print newspaper out of. for our younger (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Uh, At the front of the vending box, they have a picture of, I think, Ethan Hunt. So Tom Cruise has Ethan Hunt. But most people are just like, whatever. They're not paying attention to that. They open the news box and... It's supposed to go... (laughs) There's a little speaker in it, right? That's going to play the Mission Impossible theme song. And instead, what people see is, first of all, they're alarmed by the sound. But two, they see a box covered in wires yeah, I in mean, the vending is, box. This is like People just a little after out. the peak of see something, say something, right? <laughs> like People call in bomb threats. Yes. the the <laughs> I don't I, I think it might have been the LAPD ended up detonating a couple of LA, <laughs> a couple of news boxes yeah. but, because they thought it might be a bomb. And like maybe it was a little cathartic at the time. Like I don't know the exact timing in the Tom Cruise news cycle, but to blow up something with Tom Cruise's face on it at the time. Maybe. I, yeah. I, 
<laughs> they were like, just, hey, Jim, do we have to blow it up? These people Let's could not get out of their own way. It is, yeah. it is one bad decision after another. And it is amazing to me, not only that Tom Cruise somewhat recovered his career, mm-hmm. um, never went back to the same position he held, but still is a star. Yep. It is even more impressive to me that not only did Mission Impossible, the series, continue after this, it got better. Yes. No, nothing about that makes any sense. I know. And that is all hats off to Brad Bird. Um, but we'll talk about that we will, next because, week. Well, but also, like, we're going to talk about J.J. the director a little later in this podcast. But the other thing is that J.J. stays on as a producer from this point forward. Yes. So really, I just want to go back to something that you said before, which is, so... This is the worst opening of Mission Impossible ever. And which, is, which is weird because it's actually, it's bigger than I remembered. Uh, like in my memory, this was a complete and utter failure. So do you want to hear something really, really cold? Yeah. Um, so 2006, the highest grossing movie is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. It's followed by is Night that, at the Museum. Is that two or three? I think that's three. Okay. Three, two or three. It's the one okay. with Davy Jones. Maybe it's well, two. Both of them. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you got a, you got a Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. So with the other Mission Impossible openings, they're right at the top. And then you got to scroll all the way down to number 15 Oof. to see Mission Impossible in the highest grossing films of 2006. Do you want to know which movie is right ahead of them? Number 14? Hit me. Click. The Adam no. Sandler movie. No. Isn't that just salt in a wound? Oof. Such a bad movie. Give me like two more. What's above click? Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, which... Great movie. That's a great yeah. movie. Um, the film that made more money than that is Over the Hedge, which is an animated movie that I don't remember anything okay. about. Okay. So to your point earlier, you think regardless of all of this marketing fiasco, like everything that went wrong in Tom Cruise's life, you don't think this movie would have made that much money anyway? No. Um so look, I, I said I think it's more competent than number two. I think it has maybe the best acting in the series. The highs are not as high as Mission Impossible 2. The ideas are not as interesting as Mission Impossible 1. And I think the flaws are a little more obvious. I will say I caught myself just scrolling through Instagram at one point during this movie. Yeah, because I was a little a bit bored. Yeah. yeah. And then I had to go like, oh, wait, no, paying attention. I think this was going to underperform relative to Mission Impossible 2 anyway. It's also been six years since the last um, entry, which certainly in today's standards is an eternity. Yeah. You could get out like an entire Spider-Man failed series in that time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then launch two others. <laughs> launch two others, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think this was a fuck up from day one. They yep. picked the wrong director, a great director, but the wrong one. Mm-hmm. It fell through. Then they lost another director. I think Paramount bungled this real bad. So did Tom Cruise, the producer. And they sort of, I don't want to say they picked on Tom Cruise and made him the fall guy because like absolutely he is part mm-hmm. of the of the blow up that is this movie, but he's not he's not the only reason fair agreed a big one though yeah even as i'm saying it i'm like yeah but the brook shields thing i (laughs) i don't know maybe i'm not as convinced of that but well i think next week when we talk about like sort of like the renaissance yeah so tom cruise he's a he's phoenix right now he's ashes yeah and then he begins to rise with the next movie but we actually have to talk about this movie yes we do and so do we just kind of want to dive in there yeah let's do it Okay, so right off the bat, 
from the opening scene, we know this is a J.J. Abrams movie because it's starting. I had to look this turn up in media res. In media res. In the middle of the action. And um, I think it was actually so captivating. I don't think I've ever seen Tom Cruise act better Thank than you. in that opening scene. Thank you. Thank you. And he's never acted better as Ethan. So this thing turns on. I'm not crazy about the in media res trick here. I think because of anything, it telegraphs to you really, really clearly that, you know, you see, uh, what's her, I can't even remember. Julia, is Julia her name? You see Julia get shot in the head. Mm -hmm. Telegraphs to you pretty quickly. Like, well, there's going to be a twist. Yeah. So I'm not crazy about the structure of it, but holy shit, is he good in this scene. He's so good. So for those of you who haven't rewatched this movie recently. Black screen, then all of a sudden we cut to Ethan Hunt uh, strapped into a chair, blood coming out of his nose, wounds all over his face, completely disoriented. Yep, and he's waking up to see Philip Seymour Hoffman, who immediately is our villain, holding a gun to a woman who is strapped to a chair as well. She looks beaten up. She's crying. Her mouth is covered in tape. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, we don't know his name yet, is saying, where is the rabbit's foot? And really amazing twist right away. Ethan goes, uh, I gave it to you. Yep. And he goes, where is it? And 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 this guy who we've seen be pretty confident and pretty angry is... Terrified. Terrified and trying to act. He tries to threaten him. Yep. He tries to bargain with him. So what heightens the scene, too, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman says, you've got 10 seconds. To tell, I'm counting to 10, yeah. and then at 10 I shoot her. Yeah. And so obviously we don't know who this woman is yet, but we know that she's important to Ethan. And as the countdown continues, as we get closer to 10, like every single emotion goes through. Yeah, until at the end he's basically just begging. Like yeah. he's just he's just trying anything. He's saying like, you, you got to do the right thing. Yeah. Just, just, just do the right thing. And then, I don't know if they added this digitally. I don't know if this is Tom Cruise himself, but he gives one of cinema's greatest single tears. Oh, my God. He, that was totally Tom Cruise. How dare you yeah, say I mean, it was fair CGI? Enough. You're right. He, would he learned go, how to blow one nostril, like, right. bubble thing for War of the Worlds. He cries here. It, it's amazing. And and I, I look, we're going to get to talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman, but one of my favorite actors ever. You get the feeling that he is really kind of, like, elevating Tom Like, he's pushing Tom Cruise yes. to go a little bit better than he, than he usually would. And I loved seeing this side of Ethan as a guy who was truly out of options. Yep. He and goes then, from disbelief to anger to just panic. as you yeah, panic yeah. to like k- kind of acceptance. Like he knows, he knows he's not going to convince this guy. And then the gun goes to off. 10, he shoots the woman in the head. And then we see a genuine reaction of, I like, there's not one word that can describe what Ethan does in that moment, but it took my breath away. And then opening credits. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm with you. And to go back to this time where Tom Cruise, the human being, is having a meltdown, and yet to see him professionally top kind of, of at game. the top of his game is so weird in retrospect. Yeah. And like to be fair to Tom Cruise, like this scene is obviously filmed before right, the insanity. Right? Yeah. But Tom Cruise has never been a bad actor. Like maybe I can maybe you can show bad scenes that he's been in, but sure. I do think he is a good actor. And in that moment, I just like, I like that's the scene he should get an Academy and, nomination and, and, for. And there's, you know, I, I like, I think if people tend to give one criticism about his acting, it's that it's pretty limited. He plays, you know, the same kind of in the way people talk about like John Wayne or, or even George Clooney. Like he plays one guy and just puts on different costumes. It, it's not that there's like so much more range here, but you, you see, I don't know. 
you, you just see what would that one character he plays look like if really truly pushed to the absolute end. Yes. And it's 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 excellent. It's so good. And then immediately post opening credits we get the absolute opposite. So we see Ethan Hunt at his absolute worst, his most desperate, his most terrified. Smash cut two. The happiest Engagement we've ever party. seen him. Like, first of all, Naya who? <laughs> yeah, that is conveniently washed over. Yeah, and there he is just so happy. We get domestic Ethan. Yeah. He's in a house. He is smiling the whole time. Yeah. He's getting dips. He's taking care of Vice. I shrieked with laughter at one point. Oh, my God. There are a lot of 2006 faces hanging around here. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul is the drunken <laughs> brother-in-law. Jesse Pinkerton, right? That's Pinkman. The, Pinkman, I was close. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, the... Future brother and we get some some Greg Grunberg in here. We mm-hmm. get uh what is it, first lady from Scandal? Is that who that is? I haven't really or the president Scandal. in Scandal. Okay. It's fine. There's a scandal. Carrie Washington? In it. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, never mind. <laughs> anyway, seems like people a who great watch Scandal party. will know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and then we see Ethan, like he's still a spy. We know well, so, that. Well so we don't fully know that yet because he tells people at the party. He is working for the Virginia Department of Transportation. Boring. And is really obsessed with his job in a way that is boring everybody else at the yeah, party. Yeah, and there's a great joke where he talks intensely about it, and the man looks like he's you about to fall track asleep. the way one car stops for miles, man. It's just far out. And the dude is just like fakes falling asleep, but both the women go, I'd marry him yeah. immediately. <laughs> so we're not sure, like, has he retired? Has he left the game? What's going on? I guess what I was trying to say before is he still retains all of his skills. Yes. He's not very good at pretending he's not a spy. Yes. Because then he decides to read lips from across the room. And I want to talk about this only because, so Ethan Hunt, best spy in the world. That's his MO. Yeah. Is he maybe the worst spy in the world, actually? Because he eavesdrops on his fiance's conversation where she's telling, um, her girlfriends, how they met. And by eavesdrops, I mean he's lip-reading Wananka. them. Lake Wananka. <laughs> yeah. So he looks over and reveals that he has heard everything, and all the girlfriends are looking around going, how did he how hear, hear that? that? Yeah, I, I think he's a good spy. He's really terrible at trying to lead a Domestic private life. personal life. Yeah. yeah. But then the phone rings. Wait a minute. Before we get to the phone, there's something okay. I want to point out in, in my little uh, history of Ethan that okay. I've been building. So remember how I said, really weird in Mission Impossible 1 that he has parents and they get arrested? Mm-hmm. Um, in well, this it's movie, his mom and his uncle. His mom and his uncle, excuse me. In this movie, um, Julia's sister gets up and says, yeah, it was hard when Julia lost her parents, but when she met Ethan and Ethan told her that he didn't have his family anymore either. And I was like, ooh, what happened? Like, is Mama Hunt dead or has he just like- Lied. Hidden them? Interesting. And we still we don't, don't know. really know what happened to Ethan's dad. Like, that's a right. black hole in this universe. But from this point on, it feels like he really has cut off All ties. whatever real Ethan there was. He is now just full either spy or this made-up life he has. Yes. And so he gets this call. He empties the ice. Also not a great spy. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he throws the ice out into the backyard. And then tells his his fiance, I gotta go to the store and get more ice. If she Presumably looks somebody's gonna step outside and be like, Hey, you gotta feel the ice here. <laughs> so Ethan off his game is really off his game. Yeah. Uh, so he gets in his Volkswagen or whatever that is. Very I don't know, cars. like, you know, well, no, but it's you know, suburban. Yeah. He drives to the convenience car. store. He has a golden retriever. They have a dog, yeah, I yeah. noticed that. And I have questions about dog care later on in the move. But whatever. So he gets to the 7-Eleven. 
can I I there's just more to talk about before we <laughs> yeah. even get there because this is like if there is one thing that is wrong okay if there are two things that are wrong with this movie here's one of them okay so last movie Mission Impossible 2 and this movie are kind of playing by if if you watch them back to back are kind of playing by James Bond rules of uh, our hero is going to get a new love interest in each movie. Mm-hmm. And I have too many things to say. <laughs> I'm going to start with this one. Okay. Sometimes they're more successful or less successful at getting you um, invested in the new love interest. Mission Impossible 2, I think we both agreed, did a really excellent job of that. They 30 whole minutes. They uh- take the time to not only get you to like Naya, but also to get you invested in their relationship. And then it pays off in the end of the movie when she becomes uh, endangered. I can't say typhoid. Typhoid Mary Mary of Oz. This movie blows right past all that work. We see Michelle Monaghan for five minutes. She gets maybe two lines. Only one of them is to Tom Cruise. Yep. And then he's off to the 7-Eleven and basically on his mission. Mm -hmm. And I think this ends up being a disastrous flaw of this movie. And really surprisingly sloppy. Like, I think this is bad, bad storytelling. You know who I think agrees with you? Brad Bird. And we'll save that conversation for the next movie. But the way that Ghost Protocol is set up, I think they're just like, guys, I can't work with this. And it's an interesting thread that we see out played out in not just four, but five and six. Three movies to fix the (laughs) bad job they did. The first five minutes of this movie. Ripple effects for the next. But I think this is something to keep in mind because this is going to come back up at the end of the movie. But right now, this is like, this is all we're getting of Michelle Monaghan. And you know what relationship I believe more? Uh, The friendship between Billy Kudrup, who plays, did I say his name right? Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup. Uh, Ongoing thing of the podcast is how many names and titles can I screw up? But what's his name in the movie? Here it is. John Musgrave. There we go. Musgrave, yes. So he's John Musgrave. And the banter that they have... First of all, I immediately know that these two men work together, but they really like each other and they're friends. Well, and I have long been a Billy Crudup fan. Um, and I, I, you know, anytime people talk about them, they talk about the fa- fact that he's had kind of an odd career, like he sort of didn't take off quite the way people were expecting. It's really, really, really interesting to see him standing right beside Tom Cruise because they have like a very similar energy. They're kind of like, shorter dudes with like similar hair and face, Mm -hmm. both very charismatic. Maybe he was in the running to play the villain in MI2. Yeah. Sean Sean Ambrose. You can almost see it working better. And and it's interesting because he's, he, Billy Crudup is like the anti Tom Cruise. He's like Tom Cruise with just like a darker energy. And I, I really, I agree with you. I like the dynamic they've set up here. Yeah. And so, they have their conversation in which John communicates to Ethan that one of, well, first of all, we learn what Ethan is doing. So he's actually, he's still with IMF, but he's training new recruits. Yeah, he's an instructor. And one of his students, presumably one of his favorite students, has been abducted. Yeah, she's been missing for 11 hours. And you can see Ethan go, like you can see the concern register, the shock. But he's also like. You've got people to take care of yeah, this. Yeah, I'm not in the field. He I says don't no. do that anymore. And then Billy slash John says to him, hey, you should uh, check out this 
Cameron, like, what's the line he uses? I'm not sure, but he says, uh, before you go, it's something like they have a sale on disposable cameras. And yeah. he taps a single Kodak disposable camera. And here, let me just say again, domestic spy life being terrible. What if while they're having this conversation, neither of them are looking at the Kodak camera, just someone Somebody comes else scoops in. It up. I thought about that. Like, it. is the entire 7-Eleven actually just a front and if, like, you try to buy that, the IMF agent behind the <laughs> counter is going to be like, ah, this one's broken. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Keep talking. Backs away. Or I guess as long as, like, maybe if, if you buy it, but you, like, failed a retinal scan, it just really is a disposable camera. <laughs> that, that's probably what it was. Maybe the whole row, they, they were prepared for that eventually. <laughs> so I should give IMF more credit. They thought this through. Okay. So Ethan picks up the camera, goes home. Turns out it's going to give him his mission. Yeah, and it we learn who Philip Seymour Hoffman is for the first time. Owen Davian. And he is bad. Yes. Bad news bears. Uh, I really like, I really like the disposable camera. You know, the last one had the really intensely self-serious uh, Oakleys. I loved it. It sure. was so self-serious that it was cartoony and I loved it. But I like that this is just cartoony cartoony. It's kind of leaning into the like... The whole we get this is silly. They're silly gadgets. Yeah, the way Let's that just the camera it. explodes at the end. Yeah, the, 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 the <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, so Owen Davian has taken his student. Um, I keep I keep wanting to call her Felicity because it's I a did JJ the same Abrams, thing. Lindsay it's, Ferris, right? Um, Ferris. Played by the amazing Carrie Russell. Yeah, who was born to play a spy. I don't know if you watch the Americans, but she is so it's so good. good. On it's that. such a yeah. good show. I'm not done it yet, but. It's amazing, and we'll get to this, but she should have been in this movie more. She's so well, good. Well, so, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about this. I um, Am I wrong here? Does this movie have the most um, roles for women with speaking lines? I don't know, but that's something we should absolutely I think it at. has to be, because you have Maggie Q, you have Michelle Monaghan, you have um, Lindsay Ferris. And that's about it in terms of speaking roles. And I think the next challenger might be MI6? Mission Impossible 1. No, yeah, Mission Impossible 1, but like half those people don't. Are dead within yeah. the first, which kind yeah. of similar <laughs> to what's going to happen here. But like they have this setup for a more interesting movie and it totally just yeah. dispatched with. Exactly. So basically um, Ethan watches this movie, realizes the import of rescuing um, Lindsay Ferris, and as John Musgrave explains in the video, um, normally they would disavow this agent, but they want to get close to Owen, and so it's worthwhile to them to take the risk to rescue her. And Ethan obviously cares about his student, and so he decides to go. Yes, he does. Yeah, and before that, correct me, but does he have the dream with the flashbacks of him training her? I think that's after. Okay, but he still wakes up and he hears her voice or something, right? Well, well so sorry, there are two flashbacks. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, first we get him showing her how to like load a gun. Then yeah. later there'll be stick fighting. I always find stick fighting really cool. I don't yeah. know why. And he's but, yelling at her, go harder, faster. Yeah. But yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing flashbacks throughout the movie. And basically what we're going to learn is that this is the only student that Ethan has felt comfortable promoting to field agent. Yeah, recommending for active duty. So we already know he feels guilty because without his recommendation, she wouldn't be in the field. Right, and if there's one thing we know about Ethan by this point, like he's not crazy about losing coworkers. It he really drives, likes yeah. his friends. So he lies down next to his fiance and he whispers to her. Again, I think he's doing a great acting job here. 
he looks stunned, but also determined and like he's about to walk into an open fire, but he's doing it full speed ahead. So let's talk about the Tom Cruise acting here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched the first half of this movie with my fiance, who uh, you are aware is a performer. A fantastic actor. In and her own so age. she was catching things that would not register in my conscious brain. Like what? But she's, she's watching this movie and she goes, he's really whispering a lot in this movie. And she had a technical term of being off his voice or something. There, mm. Something but like, and I was thinking about this. I was like, yeah, in the last two movies, he is very yelly, right? <laughs> the classic scene with Naya. Right. <laughs> feel, feel better. better. <laughs> right. Or in the first movie, they're dead. Yeah. They're all, right? <laughs> yeah. This movie, he's really quiet. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting change from this guy who seems to be, kind of getting broken down a little more and more each movie and getting more and more internal. And in the next movie, he's practically, like in Ghost Protocol, he's practically a silent performer. We need to get your fiance on this podcast. Bonus episode, yeah. Because yes. it, it really, it, it was all I could pay attention to through the, la- to, through the rest of this. Like, he is very quiet. And, I didn't even and think that's, of that. It's a really, it's, a, it's an interesting change for him. All right, noted. So yes, he's in bed and he's very quietly saying, yeah, I forgot to tell you. We're called, uh, gotta go on this gotta go to conference. Houston. And yeah. she goes, oh, that's really short notice, but doesn't <laughs> question it otherwise. Yes. And cut to Berlin. We're outside some sort of factory. He's with his team. Oh, his team has already been assembled yes. for him. So who's in his team? We've got Declan. I did another squeal of delight when I saw that it was Jonathan Reese Myers. Yep. Um, and we've got Zen, who's yep. played by Maggie Q. And, of course, best for last, we've got Ving Rhames as Luther. Luther. So let's start talking about this. Of all the movies, Luther- this one maybe has the best lines. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple characters competing with each other to get the best line. And Luther starts off the competition with, have you been away so long you've forgotten how good we are? And then he's like, what's up, baby? Or something yeah. like that. But he refers to Ethan as baby. And They're buddies. That was delightful. But were you about to say that this is Luther's... I was going to say we have a recurring question on this podcast, which is where is Luther sitting this week? He does Mobile not command sit. He is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he swims at one point, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. So, but yes, they're they're in Berlin. They're about to go on a rescue mission to like an abandoned factory we to get out get, Agent Ferris. Exactly. We don't get the pre-plan. They're not sitting in this case. They're just in the action. They're going. We're going um, in guns blade, and 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 Ethan is like in a in a like commando suit with a machine gun it's it's actually tom cruise playing uh more of like a a, a, a very kind of like 80s action star than i think we've ever seen from him before you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm. it's it's he, he's like in schwarzenegger mode here he's very intense and we have declan who is clearly this movie's funny guy where ethan is spitting at him all the commands and he goes copy and declan says all i do is copy all I do is copy <laughs> we're, we're gonna get to this but no i'm gonna save it i'm gonna save it okay. I, I got i got thoughts on declan okay. but I, I want to talk like as as they're going through this um, this raid, um, and we see them like setting up grenades, and Luther is setting up like three heavy duty machine guns, also giant red buttons. Yes, I thought the scene where they rescue her was riveting. Like yeah. it was probably the scene that I paid the most attention to in the okay. movie because it was just clipping along. Yeah. So basically, Ethan goes in. Luther sets up these like drone machine guns that kill most people in the room. Maggie uh, Zen, I should yeah. say, is in the sewers somewhere setting something up. Declan is hovering around in a, in a helicopter. Yeah. 
And Ethan is running around throwing these magnetic grenades that like you throw them and they curve in midair to stick to like metal surfaces. Contender right there for best, for best gadget. gadget. Yep. yep. Um, and basically they kill a whole lot of people. It's, it's more of like a military assault than we've seen from IMF before. Yeah. And there's funny banter the whole way through, yeah. uh, one of the best scenes in the movie, actually. I do too. And I always, I love a good rescue mission. I'm always in for that. But basically he gets out Agent Ferris. Um, Through they, the best, one of the best scenes too, where he gives her a shot of adrenaline and he says to her, she's beaten up badly. She looks yeah. terrible. And he says, you're going to feel this. Takes the biggest needle ever, shoves it in her chest. And she goes. <gasps> he gives her the old Pulp Fiction. And, uh, and she yeah. comes back to life, literally guns blazing. ready to kick ass. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Um, they get. What is a pretty cool moment here where they're down to their last few bullets and there's one guy who has them pinned behind a wall and Ferris like empties her clip and she's like, I'm out. How many bullets do you have? And Ethan looks at his gun and he goes, I got enough. Yep. Jumps out. One shot. Shoots the guy right in the head and he goes, now I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. like, hate to glamorize violence here, but pretty damn cool. It was amazing. (laughs) And so I don't know if I'm skipping any cool parts here, but the next part I remember is when they're all in the helicopter getting away and like some souped up mega helicopter is following them in the background. And now all of a sudden they're in a windmill, windmill farm. farm. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, progressive. Why Europe. not? They have windmills. We yeah. Don't. It's, it's Lots fine. of sheep on the ground. Um, yes. <laughs> and then the way they get away, this is a scene I did have a bit of a problem with. Okay. Because well, I was actually fully on board for this. So well, they no. get, they get, they're, they're about to get Ferris into the helicopter, and just before they do, she starts grabbing her head and screaming. It's it's like she's it's almost like she's having a seizure or something. Um, she's and they, hearing something the rest of them aren't. Yeah, and they don't know what's what's going on. So they're like, just just get her into the uh, helicopter and let's get out of here. They get onto the helicopter. They're running away from like this souped up yeah military attack chopper. Ethan scans her with their fancy gadget scanner and finds out she has a bomb in her brain it looks like a tiny little pill yeah but it is definitely lodged in the noggin there and it's counting down to go off and that's what's causing her pain yeah so they are trying to evade the other helicopter which is chasing them trying to not get hit by the windmills so they're knocking around all over the place at one point an agent falls out ethan's got her it's with Zen, which yes. Zen in this movie has a really bad habit of almost dying when Ethan is trying to save somebody else. <laughs> God damn it, Zen. Yeah, kind of ruining things. But yes, and Ethan is trying to prep a defibrillator to short circuit the bomb in her brain. Yes, so, but it takes 30 seconds for the defibrillator to and be so ready. you did not like this scene? No, I liked all of the scene. I went too far ahead. You are very good at details. I just remember the things that I want to talk okay. about. <laughs> Fair enough. Because honestly, this scene... As, as I was starting my rewatch, I was like, yeah, this movie is just as great as I thought. Because this is, this is a fantastic scene. It's really tense. You kind of, even having seen this, you kind of think he's going to do it because he's Ethan. And, yeah. and like, you know, you think that the countdown is just like uh, tension just, building for the sake of building tension. Exactly. They, they dispatch with the other helicopter okay, in a so really cool way. No, this is the part I had a problem with because I think everything else in that scene is so great. Penny's doing some parkour through uh, Kim's apartment. For no reason at all. She's chasing literally She hated nothing. this movie. She, <laughs> she has things to say about Scientology. She's really upset about us talking about this right now. Um, so I thought that entire scene was so great from the rescue to they're on the helicopter, they're running away, the defibrillator is happening, the countdown is on. And then the way they get away from the other helicopter is by Declan steering the helicopter straight up a windmill yeah. through the blades. Yeah. 
And then the other helicopter just follows, does the exact same thing. Why would they do that? Why not just like fly ahead, cut them off at the pass, instead follow and get blown up by the mill as was inevitable? Helicopter pilot? (laughs) I just feel like a real helicopter pilot, one that was employed by Owen, would just be a little bit smarter. All right. I But Beside the point. This is like ancient movie logic, right? <laughs> if you take the Millennium Falcon through the asteroid field, you will get out and the TIE fighters won't. Yes. So I have like no problem with this. In fact, I love how it looks when like the big windmill blade cuts the helicopter clean in two. Fine. Lands on the sheep. <laughs> Landing on the sheep. That part was really funny. Yeah. That's the only reason why I know sheep were there. Right. <laughs> but so they get through. Everyone's like, yeah, we did it. We escaped. And It's counting down. He's just about to defibrillate her. And then... The bomb goes off. The bomb goes off. And it, it, it's, it's nice because they don't, they don't overdo it. It's actually a pretty subtle effect. You see one of her eyes kind of like just Yeah, like it's a very sudden detached. she twitches and then she's frozen and she's dead. And like they all go silent and, and Ethan is, is pretty devastated by yeah. it. It's, it's, a, it's a nice touch. This is, a, this is a moving, very effective scene. It is. Well, what follows is um, an equally effective scene. And again, continuing to praise Tom Cruise here. He goes home and um, he has to walk back into his house and and say hello to his wife or his fiance who thinks he's just been on a work trip. And she asks him if he's okay. Yeah. And he's kind of trying to pretend everything's okay, and he's not really hiding it. But it's it's a nice piece of acting from Mm -hmm. from from Tom Cruise here. He really sells it that like. This guy is so upset and he can't even show it to the person he loves the most. And this is maybe like credit to Michelle here. Um, She does, I think, a good bit of acting here. So she doesn't have lines really after that in this scene. But she holds him. She knows something is wrong. And you can see her just look at him in such a way that she knows she doesn't have the full picture here. And it's maybe the first time that she's ever doubted There are some questions coming. Yeah. And so let me get this out of the way now. When I was saying earlier, I think it was a huge mistake to drop whoever Carrie Ann Moss was going to play. They are doing an extremely tired trope here of be it uh, secret spy or superhero or whatever husband with normie wife who can't understand and can't um, protect herself within the world the husband occupies – uh, for all sorts of political levels, that sucks that we're seeing this again. But yep. she exists to be put into danger. But what sucks even more is they're not even doing it well, yeah. right? Like there is a super compelling story about one half of a of a marriage being in a world that the other part can't occupy, and like they're just they're not giving us the setup. They're just it's it's it just feels boring. Yeah, and again, I think aside from the relationship between Ethan and Luther and Ethan and Billy Crudup, yep. forgetting his name, Musgrave, there Musgrave. we go, all the relationships felt a bit forced and fake to me. The next scene that happens, we're back at IMF, right? Okay, let's get into this. <laughs> Enter Lawrence Fishburne. Playing, uh, he's not mission command, uh, command, executive director, Brassel. Yes. And... Holy shit. I don't know what happened here. You know how last week we said like Anthony Hopkins steps in as the boss and he has like two or three great lines, many of which haven't aged well. You get the feeling Lawrence Fishburne watched that and was like, hold my beer. Because (laughs) he just comes in at 12, 
goes up to 18 and delivers, I don't know, six or seven lines that in any other movie, each one would stand out as like, oh my God, oh, they're that's so good. over the top. Do you have a favorite one? Do I have a favorite one? Tell us your favorite one, Billy. No, it's unacceptable that chocolate makes you fat, but I've eaten my share. <laughs> that's the same one I wrote down. <laughs> what the fuck? So, okay, before we get to the other lines, let's talk about what's going on here, because this is really important. So they're in an IMF that is this bright, bright blue with bright, bright red colors also going on. There's, there's, so I, I find this movie distracting to look at. I think it's doing something cool that it is making it look kind of cartoony, which is fitting in the, with the vibe I like of taking it a little less seriously, accepting that this is a very heightened, different world from our own. But it's, it's, it almost hurts your eyes to look at the it's IMF hall bright. here. Yeah. Very bright. But so... The top brass has brought Ethan in to chew him out for promoting a field agent who ended up getting killed in the line of duty, suggesting that he didn't properly vet her. Right. So sure, maybe. But, but look, sometimes field agents die in the line of duty. At the end of this movie, the third senior IMF member is going to go rogue. By this point in the history of this fictional universe, if there is a terrorist attack, you should just go look if there is an IMF agent anywhere in the vicinity, and that's the guy who did it. Just arrest him. How dare they? (laughs) Accuse Ethan. Because they're talking about hiring criteria. Like, this place is the shittiest HR of anybody. Most (laughs) Domino's pizzas are better at, like screening their their people than IMF. And they're like yelling at him about like, you didn't do a good job. I I was like, if I was Ethan, I'd be flipping tables. I'd be like, come on. Did she blow up the Kremlin? (laughs) No, then get off my back. (laughs) Yeah. Had to get that out of the way. I'm I'm glad I got to witness it. It was perfect. Thank you. Um, I don't have a good follow-up for that. That's exactly what happened. Let me keep talking. So, 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 so Brassel is attacking both Ethan Hunt and Musgrave saying like, what did you do? You didn't even get any information because they got laptops out of Davian's hideout, but they're crispy. crispy. <laughs> um, to be honest, nothing else happens. He just gives nine more lines designed to make sure that Brassel stays in your memory for the rest of this movie because that's yeah. going to be important. So I'll give you my two other favorite ones. Okay. This is intelligence. So far, I haven't seen any. <laughs> and, then, and then a line that like I thought was funny when I heard it. And then when I got to the end of the movie and certain things at the end of the movie happen, made me go back and think about this line in a more critical light. Um, Brassel says something to the effect of, you're supposed to be the invisible man. Pause. Wells, not Ellison. (laughs) Which I wonder, I wonder if that was a Tom Cruise joke because he's just finished War of the Worlds here. And like, he was the one that acquired that script and like sent it off to Spielberg and said, let's do this thing. I might have that a little bit muddled, but I know that Tom Cruise is heavily involved. So, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to think in my own brain that Tom Cruise made that joke. But that's like, that's a nice little literary joke. I, I appreciated it. It was, yeah. So my two favorite Brassel lines are, okay. well, no, you said three of my favorites yeah. just now. But um, another one is, Mr. Musgrave, please don't interrupt me when I'm asking rhetorical questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then my other one, because he delivers it with so much intensity. Like, I imagine that Lawrence Fishburne read the script for the first time. Like, I don't know, he's lying on his couch at home somewhere. He's got his morning coffee. And he reads this and goes, God damn it, how am I supposed to, like, do this? Then punched himself in the face and did (laughs) nine lines of cocaine and walked into the... (laughs) And then he said, 
you can look at me with those judgmental eyes all you want, but I bullshit you not. I will bleed on the American flag to make sure those stripes stay red. This beautiful line. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, so they're in trouble. Yes. And then... Um, I forget what happens, but Ethan gets a postcard. And it's clear that it's from Carrie Fisher's character, Lindsay. Damn it. So I'm good Leia at sends many things. I'm so not good at names. Carrie Russell, Agent uh, Ferris, sends a, a postcard. Which is blank except for the address and a stamp. And under the stamp is a... Dot. Yes. A micro dot. So... Ethan takes this to Luther, and they have what has to be the most uncomfortable conversation in this movie, especially occurring in 2006 in the time of Tom Cruise. the worst line I'm going to say right now, perhaps, of the series. So the setup to this is Tom Cruise is explaining that, well, Luther is asking if something romantic ever happened between them. So Ethan understands that clearly Ferris was trying to tell him something that she didn't want the rest of IMF to hear. And she has sent him a micro dot with some sort of secret message. And the only person he feels comfortable sharing this with is Luther. Luther looks at the micro dot, sees that there's nothing on it mm-hmm. at first. And then he starts asking Ethan about his relationship with agent Ferris. And what does he say? Ethan says, you know, she's like my little sister. And then Luther says, and you never slept with your little sister. Right. Oh, God, and I'm Blech. thinking, I'm thinking of him and Katie Holmes at the time, and the conversations people are having. And I'm like, okay. Anyway, anyway, Luther thinks that maybe there's a secret, secret message on the micro dot using old school spy tech, but they'd have to get someone to encode it. Which brings us to the first time we see one of my favorite characters, not just of this franchise, but of all time, Benji. Benji. Yes. And by Simon a, Pegg. Yeah, and this is a younger Simon Pegg. And I never want to point out, like, someone's, the, the changes in one's body, because, like, fuck you if you try to do he, that to me. He but, points it out himself in the next movie. This yeah. is before he's been promoted to field agent. Right now, he's a lab tech. Yeah, and so he's younger. He's just a little... He looks like he's living a great life. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't need to run anybody down on foot, so... He's a lot trimmer in the next movie, yes. is what I'll say. Yes, he looks great, though. Yes, he does look great. And um, as I forget whether it's in this scene, but eventually he has a conversation with, I think Luther is there, but it's definitely with Ethan, where they're talking about the information that they're going to possibly retrieve from this micro dot. And here's the thing. We know it's called the rabbit's foot, but yeah. no one knows what the rabbit's foot is. Well, so, well, so he says, I'll look into the micro dot, but they also say, did you get anything off the laptops? And he said some reference to the rabbit's foot. Right. And... Whoever decided to cast Simon Pegg to deliver this next exchange should have gotten a bonus from Paramount because they save what should be a pretty weak spot in the movie. It's great. Yeah. He talks about it's an old professor that he had or something like that. So they know they know Owen Davian's trying to get something called the rabbit's foot, but they don't know what it is. How how does Benji describe it? I actually think you should do it because you'll remember more detail than I can. So Mr. J.J. Abrams likes a method of storytelling he calls the mystery box. And you can look this up on YouTube. Uh, He talks about um, constructing stories around a mystery. Uh, He has been criticized for well over a decade now for setting up mysteries that don't have answers. Pause. You know what? So J.J. Abrams literally uses mystery boxes. So there's a mystery box in Alias. There's a mystery box in Lost. And I love that. He's getting all this criticism about it. He's handed the new Star Wars 
and he says, fuck you guys, mystery box. (laughs) (laughs) Only for Ryan Johnson to come in and be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Delete. (laughs) Anyway, back to the mystery box of this movie. So this is an interesting one because he's setting up the rabbit's foot as a mystery box and that we don't know what it is. We don't know what it does. And spoiler alert, we're never going to find out, which I, yeah. I actually think is kind of successful in this movie. I think so too. But it's, it's sort of like they're trying to use the fear of the unknown to really get us extra psyched up. Exactly. The way that Benji describes it is as the anti-god, which the is so anti-god. dramatic. He, he gives a lot of really weird techno babble about a compound that could just destroy everything. Like, it sounds like you open it and just the world dies. <laughs> Which is what we're supposed to maybe think it is, because we don't know. So yes. it could be the worst thing ever. Yes. And that's, it's that's like Jaws. all we know. The shark is scarier because you don't you see don't it. You don't see it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in essence, the, you know, we leave this scene knowing they got to stop Owen from getting the rabbit's foot because, it uh-oh, could, apocalypse. Yeah, it could potentially lead to the end of the world. And so... I think the next... Before we leave this scene. Oh, yes. They discover on that crispy laptop another piece of key information, and it is an invitation to an event being held at Vatican City where we know Owen will be. And so the next scene is a brief interlude. Ethan knows he's about to go on this mission. Yeah, basically they're planning to to run like a, a secret rogue mission to go intercept the rabbit's foot. Yeah. And first stop, though, is the hospital where Julia works. Yeah. And they're like, Julia knows something is going on and she's not being told something. And again, to her credit, I think she actually does a great job with the limited material that she's been given. They're both great in this scene. Yeah. I just wish there was more. So she knows something is not, she's being left out of something crucial. And so she looks at Ethan and she asks, is it real? Like, tell me, like, what's between us is real. And next scene is they're getting married in the hospital. And so maybe now is a good time to mention the person who scored this movie is Michael Giacchino. Yes. Who, um, responsible for at least two of the best themes ever, if not more. Uh, But I would say Lost and The Incredibles. I didn't know that. Oh, Incredible theme song is. Oh, I love it. I just didn't know. Of course, you lied. Yeah. Yes, but, um, but yeah, he 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 does the he does the lost score, which is one of my favorite scores ever. The thing that kind of bums me out here is that he's kind of he's kind of stealing his own lost score. Well, I think most composers steal their own like riffs. He's just like whether or not they do it on purpose. Just Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer. Sure. There's so many other composers where you hear something and you go, oh, wait, that's from that thing. But but especially when they're in the chapel, it's just, I'm thinking of Jack and Kate and like <laughs> more nuanced relationships that. Well, <laughs> Lost isn't out yet, I don't think. So maybe you could argue. Uh, he's st- you know what? Touche. Yeah. Lost I apologize, Michael Giacchino. From you, MI3. Yes. Fair All enough. Right. Um, I will, we won't dwell on this cause I don't know enough about it, but, uh, this is the only movie that doesn't have a track featuring like the mission impossible theme. However, it features a song by Kanye West entitled impossible, which also features Twista, Keisha Cole and BJ. Why don't think I've ever heard this song. I know it's I'm now buried gonna have to go look it up. in the back of the movie, but, or it's, if it's in the movie, I certainly didn't pick up on it, but. Kanye. Yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, they get they get married, and then because it's 2006, uh, we have a little Grey's Anatomy homage directly yep. afterwards, where yep. they hook up in a hospital storeroom. Yeah. He throws some. Uh, I think it's supposed to be scrubs on the ground to yeah. create like a little nest. <laughs> it's a little anyway, 
Uh, the next scene, Ethan, huge grin on his face. It's true. It's true. <laughs> He's really, this character's one defining trait is that like, after he hooks up with someone, he's, he's in a great mood about it. He's like, yeah, you know that student who died? Yeah. I forgot about that. It doesn't it's a good matter day, guys. Yeah. It's a good day to go to the Vatican. But yeah, now I think we get into what is probably the best chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I find like from the Vatican scene, which uh, works really well to me, through to the end of the bridge, that section is pretty spectacular and, and moves very well. So as I've learned from listening to these episodes with you, you have a great mind for detail. When I'm remembering movies, I just remember like specific moments that I like a lot and thinking through the scene, like, yes, I agree. It's so well done, but my favorite parts are Tom Cruise, like shimmying into a priest outfit. And even before that, the fight that he gets into the fake fight he gets into with Declan, where they're yelling at each other in in Italian Italian on the road. (laughs) I thought okay. it was really fun. So how how well do you remember that scene? Well, let's talk about it. It'll okay. come back. So yeah. I'm sitting on the couch with my fiance. I'm taking notes. Yep. Uh, they get out of their fake uh, like delivery truck. DHL. Because, yes. Thank you. DHL. <laughs> um, to create a distraction so Ethan can jump the wall to the Vatican. And um, I just think they must have had so much fun doing this scene because they are still stereotypically yes. Italian. They're really, they're doing there's, hand talking and, uh, and there's yelling. And I, I'd like to think that they both learned the, well, they obviously had to memorize their lines in Italian for this part, but, yeah, but it's not the most culturally sensitive. Like if you were spies, right. <laughs> trying to pass as Italian. Well, I f- feel like everyone else is gonna be like, who are these dumb Americans? But here's what's funny about it. And maybe this is just, I don't know what JJ's background is, but maybe he's deliberately riffing on these stereotypes to make fun of himself. I hope that's the reason anyways. But the people who are delayed by this car accident get out of the car and they too start doing the hand gestures. Can you picture in your mind the man in the navy rib sweater with the great head of hair who is, yeah, he's doing the hand gestures (laughs) at them to move on. I'm sitting on my couch trying to do the notes, and uh, my fiance goes, Look, it's Italian Gail Garcia Bernal. Oh my God. Which then we had to stop the movie for about 12 minutes as I hyperventilated laughing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yep. Anyway, go to that point in your DVD. It's uh, pretty I'm spot absolutely on. doing that. Yes. So. So let's get into the Vatican. But before we do, we, I, I don't want to jump over your favorite part of the movie because this movie gets two of them heist planning scenes. We do, yes. Now, I've, I also really enjoyed that scene. I feel as they're planning this heist, uh, Declan is kind of stealing some of Luther's thunder. A little bit, yeah. It's Luther's job to be like, oh, that's crazy. This is going to happen and that's going to happen and, and like build the tension for us. But like Declan keeps jumping in with like, Ethan, you t- the walls are 60 feet high. Yeah. <laughs> you get the feeling that after this one, Ving Rams was like, get him the fuck out of here. You Luther know, does one thing. <laughs> he is giving it to the Irishman. <laughs> well, at this time, I don't know where Jonathan Reese Myers is at. Has but the tutor started? Um, I, think I feel compelled has. to add that I am Irish as I continue throughout this series to go through I just different accents said of Europe. And horribly offensive things to our Italian listeners, and I'm so sorry. No, you said that Mission Impossible 3 said horrible yes. things to our Italian listeners. Stereotypes, yes. This podcast is very big in Italy, by yeah. the way. We do our own translation. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, yes. Um, they plan the heist. Declan is thunder-stealing. Um, I don't remember anything else except... No, I remember, but the next part I really remember is Tom Cruise running up a wall. Great gadget here. Yeah. So he's got a grappling gun that um, 
instead of it pulling him up, it like attaches to the top of the wall and he, he can like run up. Yes. And then jump off the other side and, uh, and you, the wire hang, yeah, which is something we've homage. now seen in each movie moving forward. And I'm actually like really excited. I hope we get wire hangs in all the movies. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really like that how seamless it is because he unzips his coveralls and then the, the grappling gun actually like takes the coveralls away and yep. suddenly he is a priest. Yes. And it's weird to look at. It was. And it was just like how intense he is in that scene. He's just like very like. He's reading a Bible <laughs> studiously. Yeah. And then he walks by mission control or whatever the heck it is in the Vatican and makes like side eye contact. Yeah, with not a great spy. <laughs> I know. But this whole thing, this whole operation is, is moving like, like clockwork it's really cool this is this is maybe the most we've seen the teamwork as a team where everybody's doing their own thing yep and then while this is happening we have zen roll up in one of the nicest cars i've ever seen yeah and so her job is to basically fake her way into this event where we know owen is going to be and she's obviously the one being tasked with this mission because she's Drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. She's wearing one of the like most intense dresses I think we've ever seen I in this wonder, franchise. There's a real cut I out question thing. if the Vatican would be cool with that. Dress. I had that thought. I like I visited the Vatican sitting when I was 15 years old with like my high school trip. It was yeah, real name and cheesy. And I'm sure your um, teachers gave you a, a talk. About yeah, it was like they put the fear of God into us literally as 15 year olds. Like n- no shorts, you will get kicked yes. out. Be respectful to Jesus and the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she floats those rules. Right. Because um, her job is she's got to get a face scan of Owen Davian. Yes. Well, that's and, her first job. Anyway. Yes. And Declan helps her in this. So as she pulls up to the gate, he's the one that's like, oh, you're not on the yes, list. But Declan has snuck in by pretending to be a tourist and, and now has assumed the identity of a security guard. Yes. And they are both in now. And Luther is sneaking in through the sewer, which is, is kind of cool. He's in, like, scuba gear. Yeah, yeah. he's swimming. He's yeah. not sitting anymore. No. He is in full Luther mode. So maybe he did this movie and decided, one, uh, no more Jonathan Rhys Myers because he's too handsome and cocky and steals, steals all of his my role. Lines. Yeah, But also I feel like maybe he was a little bit tired after filming this <laughs> he needed, movie. He needed a break. <laughs> he's like, I like it when Luther sits. <laughs> okay, however, <laughs> look. Mr. Rames, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, please call and correct me. He didn't do the uh, scuba diving. <laughs> you're actually right. I'm sorry. I'm in a Tom Cruise mode. Tom Cruise does all of his own stunts. <laughs> You'll notice it's a conveniently like shadowy, blurry figure. Yes, on. he's got a mask on. But now um, Zen is tracking Owen at the event. And, 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 oh God, this movie made me real sad. Just to see Philip Seymour Hoffman again. Because, like, look, this is not his best performance. It's not his 10th best performance. You know, you, you get the feeling this might be a paycheck for him. But but he's still, excellent. Still, he's, like, the best thing in this movie. And he so often played slobs yep. that it's it's really cool to see him looking kind of dapper and, and debonair. And, and, like, your eyes just go to him every second he's on screen. Absolutely. And I, I actually had the same reaction when the opening scene, like, my first thought was, oh, my God, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And I think it's a credit to the opening scene that my attention was immediately drawn back into the story itself. But, yeah, in this scene again, I just felt this sadness that 
he's not here anymore. And then to be totally honest, I know we're making fun of Declan here, but Jonathan Reese Meyer is, again, I am not an expert on this subject. And if he is listening to this podcast, please forgive me. But he has struggled with addiction since. Really? Yeah. And he's Aww. been pretty open with his, um, with his struggles, but his career has not been great, I think, as a result. And I just mm. had this, I made a note, which just was fuck addiction. And yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, you were missed. Yeah. Be well, Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's great. He's, he's got this really nice tux, but like his, um, shirt cuffs are undone and kind of hanging open and he's, he's smoking a cigarette. And I was trying mm. to think, is this the last time we've seen a super villain smoke on screen? Maybe. Cause it's, it's been a while, but I was like, yeah, damn, you do look evil doing that. It's, yeah. it's pretty great. And so Zen's job, as you said, is to get a scan of his face yeah. and she has a good shot, a good line of vision. And I love this process shit about how they're like fancy gadgets work that yes. like how, what it takes to get a mask and all this stuff. So this is my question. Is this the first time we see the mask machine in action? Yes. This is the first time yes. we see the portable mask machine, which yes. is like, to be honest with you, it sort of breaks the earlier two movies. Like a little the bit. idea that. They had to go out and get a face scan of him. You're like, how did he have a huge stamp mask in Mission Impossible 2? Or, you know, yeah, just go with it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So she has a fake compact in front of her. And and then Luther and um, Ethan have used like a cross bomb to blow open a hole in the Vatican. (laughs) (laughs) This is the other thing my fiance could not get, could not let go. She's like, they just destroyed the property of like, thousands of years old building i'm like yeah it's fine they're gonna like stop the rabbit's foot and she's like well i don't know what that is you need to make sure watch make her watch the scene where they blow up the kremlin and see what yeah. she has to say about that but so but so they get in they're in the basement making the mask now that they've got the data off of zen's phone and they're they're having a really nice exchange they're they're kind of they're kind of broing out where luther's yeah. like luther and declan are giving ethan lady advice <laughs> That is not particularly good advice. Maybe that's why I'm a bit hazy on those details. Do you have a favorite line there that, that you want to share at the class, Billy? Um, no. The only one I recall is, um, I can't remember the exact line, but Luther is saying something like, um, we can't have regular relationships. And Declan says something like, exactly, I love it. Because right. he's the ladies' man or Right, whatever. and now this is coming back to me. Is this the scene where they're saying, don't do it, you'll ruin her you're life? You're going to ruin her life, you're going to take everything from her and everything from you. And, and then, then he's like... This is the scene because he's getting the Hoffman face put on him. And this is a really nice effect where we actually see a mask being put on. Yes, and I will say watching the eyebrow get put on the mask, I laughed out loud yeah. because it just looked so ridiculous. Yeah. So as Luther and Ethan are having this intense conversation and the mask is being molded to Ethan's face and Luther's saying, don't marry her, it will just end badly. Ethan grabs his shoulders, but now it's also Philip Seymour Hoffman talking with Tom Cruise's voice. We got married three days ago. There's a pause. Luther says, congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) And I want to talk about this. And and look, I don't want to mythologize Philip Seymour Hoffman too much, but for a brief few minutes here, we now see Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Tom Cruise, play Ethan Hunt, play Owen Davian. It's very meta. It's very fun. But Philip Seymour Hoffman is giving a very different physical performance. Like, you can tell it's Ethan. Mm-hmm. It's a cool thing. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think he really had a lot of other opportunities to play action heroes. Yeah. But as he's, like, climbing through the rafters, he 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 looks like he has the physicality of, of an action hero. It's, it's, it's 
really nicely done here. And and look, maybe I'm reaching for things that aren't there, but no, watching I don't it, I was think like, you are. really well done. Um, so speaking of body movement, I'm so sorry. There are three things that we missed. I just went back okay. to my notes. I got excited and I okay. forgot. Because there's so much going on here. We are cross-cutting is. between like four different planes of action. So I'm going to rewind to when Ethan Hunt runs up the wall. This yeah. is my favorite line of the movie. I can't believe I let this just blaze by. Okay. So Ethan lies, gets up the wall, lies down. And leans over, looks at the camera, and says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Right. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's part of this cartoony world that I love. I'm really yes. into that stuff. It's yeah. so good. Um, the other two things I wanted to just give a quick shout out to is one, uh, shirtless uh, Jonathan Reese Myers as he's changing costumes in this scene. Just, they didn't need that in there, but they put it in. You also the get the feeling, though, that like, so Ving Rames is having the meeting with Paramount where he's like, get this fucker out of here. He's stealing my role. And then Tom Cruise comes in. He's like, I'm the shirtless white guy. <laughs> I just really need that to have happened. Okay. <laughs> and then my next favorite part yeah. in this scene is the bomb that they use to explode the wall. The one yes. that your fiance was so upset about. It's a cross bomb. Yes. It's the necklace that uh, Ethan is wearing as the Vatican priest. So, so. I think this is the gadgetiest movie we've seen so far. We're going we're gonna to have a lot to talk about right, when, it comes to, right. when it comes to the best gadget. And now we flash back to the party. To Zen. Zen accidentally spills red wine. Well, she intentionally spills yes, red wine, yeah. of course. And then obviously uh, Owen has to go to the men's room yep. to clean up. And that is where the switcheroo starts to unfold. Yes. So very cool scene here. Ethan pops out of the wall. And it's 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 like, it's a very weird scene that's, just really well done. Yeah. But basically, like, they're kind of mission accomplished. So Ethan goes back to the party, picks up the briefcase from Owen's assistant, and gets out of there with Zen. Uh, kind of a cool scene here. Uh, Ethan and, and Zen drive off. Yeah. And then we get, like, kind of a triumphant scene as they're all in a speedboat getting away. And it's like, hey, we actually did Actually, a, I wrote down mission. that scene. Like, that scene right there is, I think the pinnacle of why people love spy movies and action movies because it's just all these beautiful people on a race, on a speedboat. They're smiling. They're wearing cool sunglasses. And it, they're just like, it's yeah, triumph. We've rarely seen the team have like a good moment like this in the middle of a movie. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you, it's kind of nice because you also feel immediately that like something is going to go wrong. Oh, yeah. The but. other shoe is about to drop. And it kind of does. Yes. So we get the scene on the plane. Which is the first time we really, aside from the opening scene, this is the first time that Owen and Ethan are talking to one another. And Owen doesn't know who Ethan is. He keeps asking, who are you? So so I think this might be the best thing Philip Seymour Hoffman does in the movie. Um, we have seen over the past 10 years a proliferation of scenes where the bad guy gets captured, sometimes intentionally, and then with very little prompting, well, gets the plot away. <laughs> yeah, but uh, is also like, you know, is trying to show that they have all the power despite being in captivity. So like I'm thinking of the Joker in The Dark Knight or Silva in Skyfall. Like this obviously goes okay. back to like, you know, um, Anthony Hopkins in, in, in Silence of the Lambs, right? And oftentimes what you see is like they're just being scary and threatening. Yep. And, you know, sometimes those scenes work, sometimes they don't. It was cool to me to see Philip Seymour Hoffman doing a different take on this. So he is... I completely agree. And the one thing I will point out um, before you continue is Philip Seymour Hoffman is tied up in this scene. Yes. He's completely vulnerable. Ethan is yelling at him. And he just seems bored. He's bored. Like, he's not being... Th- he's like, who... 
Who do you have a you? girlfriend? Yeah. Do you have a wife? He's like, he's so certain that he's getting out of this. Yes. It's just like these people are ants to him. He's like, mm-hmm. well, I can't believe I even have to waste my time with you. It's not like, well, I'm going to torment you, Batman. He's just like, are you serious right now? Like, do you understand the world of hurt you're going to get? And Ethan is rattled. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's not, he's not giving up any of the information that Ethan wants. He wants to know what the rabbit's foot is. And, um, yeah, we, we kind of see Ethan go to a, a little bit of a darker place than we've seen him go before. He threatens to throw him out of an open yep. like, hole in the plane. And then... Well, and, like, I kind of want to talk about this because Mission Impossible 2, we open on Ethan Hunt all alone. And the conversation we had around that is Ethan has learned how painful it is to lose his team, to lose people that he loves. And so we think he's deliberately isolated himself. Mm -hmm. And so there's something, obviously, that went on between um, his breakup with Naya. Yeah, you get the feeling that, like, the last movie, he managed to make a relationship work with someone and and has, like, now tried to open up a little bit again. And as soon as he has... This happens, this threat happens. And so Owen... Knows exactly which button to push. Ethan loses his cool. And that leads us to... Well, there's a great there's a great line reading here where Luther has to yell at Ethan as Ethan is about to drop Owen out of a plane. He's like, Ethan, stop. And then he does. And then they're all lying on yes. the ground catching their breath. I can't remember what the exact line is, but oh, Owen no, just goes, yeah. okay. Ethan. Ethan. And he, he like says it in such a terrifying way. Okay. And so this is sort of like a, a sidebar story, but my reaction was as soon as he knew Ethan's first name, of course he was going to be able to figure out everything else. Yeah. And <laughs> earlier this week, the funniest thing. So I was out at a work event on Monday night and this guy, I thought he was asking me for my number to help confirm like that things got home safely. And the next day he <laughs> texted me and was like, Hey, it was fun talking. Uh, do you want to, Keep talking. And I was like, oh, oh, this is happening. And so I, of course, being a woman, <laughs> reach out to my one of my best friends and say, hey, I think I met someone last night. And she says, what's his first name? <laughs> she knows nothing else, just asks for his first, first name. And that's all I know, too. Like, this guy has been yeah. smart. We, were, we had a couple drinks at the Monday night event. And so he's included his first name in the text. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so I give it to my friend who knows what event I was at last who night. Who calls Owen Davian's people and... <laughs> Within 15 seconds, I'm not even kidding, she had his LinkedIn page to me. She had his work profile to me. It was creepy. Nice. And if that guy is listening to this podcast, I am so sorry. Creepy. It's also (laughs) not a bad idea, is it? But that version happened with Owen where he was like, first name. Okay, looking up CIA, looking up IMF. There we go. So. Yeah. No, it's. it's, (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) It's great. So they land back in the States. Um. And I guess their plane lands on the other side of a bridge that is several miles away. Which seems just like poor Not planning, a great guys. idea. Like, come on, doesn't the Pentagon have some sort of some like sort of secret, secret airfield? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they don't because then people would see the planes go down. But either way, still, you know, not a great location to be transporting the world's most wanted terrorist. Nope. So, of course, they get attacked and. Davian escapes. Well, so right before they get attacked, mm-hmm. and I, I like this because this, they keep doing this thing in this movie that I think is great for the pacing where Ethan gets a piece of information and then before he can react to it, something else happens. So they are in the car. They're, they're in a convoy. 
And so Owen is in this like big armored truck and then a couple of cars behind Ethan and Luther are in like an Escalade Mm -hmm. and they get a message from Benji saying I've decoded the micro dot and it's a video from agent Ferris saying Brassel Lawrence Fishburne is a dirty agent and and is working with Damien. She thinks she's being set up. And then the car right behind Ethan blows up, which is nice. It's a nice touch. It's really good. And um, I'm probably skipping some things, but the next important thing that I remember is Ethan realizing with Owen gone, where's Julia? Right. Well, so, well, so there's a big, there's a big action scene on, on the bridge. I just glossed over. (laughs) Well, I think we need to talk about this only for the reason of, you want to know what I think the second big flaw in this movie is? Go on. There is no big stunt. I have notes on that. But I think on the bridge is when we get the closest to one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they're being attacked by a drone and a hel- helicopter. And I think it's a well-staged action mm-hmm. scene. Stuff blows up. I don't really know what more there is to say about it. But yeah, they get they get Owen out. His team gets him out. And he has a nice like kind of villain shot of getting into the helicopter yep. as he's like kind of sneering like, yep. I'll see you next time, Batman. You know, Later, <laughs> ants. Yes, exactly. Um <laughs> But there is a cool scene where Ethan is trying to run to get a super machine gun and a missile goes off behind him. And this is maybe the one image that sticks out in most people's mind if they think about this movie. He gets blown across the bridge and slams into a car. And he hits the car. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He keeps running. And you know that that was actually him being tossed against a car. And And it still looks pretty impressive. But I think that's the only thing we get by way of stunts in this movie. And again, I think what is so impressive, like the thing that people come to in these in this movie is Tom Cruise actually doing these stunts himself. And yeah. so what makes that one compelling is you going, ooh, that must have hurt because you know it's Tom Cruise yeah. taking a rib bruising. <laughs> but it's just, it's it's over and done with in like two seconds or that. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't. And then he is on the phone freaking out trying to find Julia. And then... Jesse Pinkman returns. Yes. (laughs) And in classic Jesse Pinkman style, he has screwed everything up. up. He has given away Julia's location to the supervillains. Yes. And now we fast forward to Ethan sprinting to the hospital. hospital. And this is a part that I missed entirely. Um, uh, I went back and I saw it. So Julia, she is leaving the hospital. She's leaving her shift and the bad guy comes up. Uh, he puts something on her arm. She goes, what? And then she immediately passes out. Yeah. And as Ethan runs into the hospital, we see the bad guy pushing <laughs> a trolley yeah. out. And she's clearly under yeah. the blanket on the trolley. And so Ethan now knows that Julia is gone. She has been taken. Right. And so he gets a, he gets a phone call from Owen Davian who says, we got, we got Julia. Are you wearing your watch? You have, what is it? Is it 20, 48, 48 hours. hours to steal the rabbit foot for me. So, and while he's saying that, Ethan is panicked. And yeah, as he like, says, wait, 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 are wait. you wearing your watch? He panically sets it. sets it. And so this is the second time that Ethan is going to have to steal the super weapon for the bad guy after Mission Impossible 1. To trying save to steal the, the woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you have 48 hours to steal the rabbit's foot. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. And he, and he hangs up. And just as he's about to run away all of IMF shows up to arrest him. And it's, it's, I, this was like the pacing up until this point has been amazing. And you really get the, like the frustration of like, no, I have to go to Shanghai right now. 48 hours, guys. God. Yeah. Yeah. So Ethan is trapped. The next scene that I remember is Ethan basically in a Hannibal Hannibal Lecter mask mask being like, he's lied down in an interrogation room. He's strapped down. Yeah. So he's been arrested by IMF for planning, an illegal mission to um, get Davian. Yeah. 
And fast forward to John Musgrave in the room. And he says to Ethan, something along the lines of, Ethan, I hope you can look at me during this conversation. At least give me the respect of looking at me as I'm talking to you. And then proceeds to braid Ethan, but is actually lip syncing. Or what's the word for that? Um, well, well, he's just silent. He's mouthing the words. Mouthing. <laughs> so that Ethan can lip read them. Yes. Uh, and he's saying, go to this apartment in Shanghai. Yeah. That's where, yeah. you, you know. Walks to the other t- side of the table, slips him a, like a razor or something. thing so he yeah. can escape, which then Ethan does. He escapes. Yeah, he gets a little elevator fight, which... Um, well, Winter Soldier is going to do it much better in a few years from now, but it's yep. actually like a really nice fight scene. It's it's pretty cool. So he gets to Shanghai. He's reunited with his team who have been yep. sent there by Musgrave under the guise of some other operation. I forget. Um, but they're there to help him acquire the rabbit's foot. And they're, they're in a building a couple of blocks away. They have the location of it. So they're planning a break in. Yes. And it's one of the coolest scenes of the movie where they're in a glass like apartment and Ethan takes some sort of like, I don't know, like special pen and he starts drawing on the window the outline of the different skyscrapers. And as he figures out, you know, this is the building I have to get into, he does some sort of like trigonometry where he's like, yeah, 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 I can do it. And they all figure out that he's going to swing. Yeah. Um, So this is. A nice scene. Uh, Ethan's really kind of breaking down here. Um, but I want to talk about the ethics of this a little bit. Okay. So uh, I just finished The Good Z- uh, the good Place Season 2. I don't know if you've watched it yet. Not yet, but it's top of my list. Okay. Uh, the only reason I haven't gotten to it is for an embarrassing binge that I'm on right now, which I What are you binging? Supernatural. Well, that's not I can't stop. That's not embarrassing. I can't stop. It's, it's such a dumb show, but I love show. it so much. Okay, Never mind. All Go right. on. So they do a great episode in season two of The Good Place about the trolley problem in ethics. Um, what is that, Billy? Well, so there are many variations of the trolley problem. One is, let's say you're in a runaway trolley that can't be stopped. Uh, oh, on the one train track. problem. Okay, Why? they call it the trolley problem. <laughs> because you've read actual philosophy and I have watched The Good Place. Yeah. <laughs> So the train problem. (laughs) Go on. Well, now I'm embarrassed. Okay. So they go through different variations of it, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially what Ethan is proposing here is is, is the same ethical breakdown we've seen in our last movie. So in our last movie, Naya gets injected with uh, Chimera. Mm -hmm. And she says, you have to kill me. And he says, I refuse to do that. But she says, like, if you don't. Everyone else dies. Everyone dies. And he says, no, I'll take the risk and just try and save you another way. Yeah. Which seems right to me. Mm-hmm. This one seems different. So his Julie has been captured, but he is going to break in and get the rabbit's foot and risk giving it to Davian to get her back. I realize it is the same exchange of one life for millions, but well, I think this the, one feels less responsible. Well, I think it's the key difference is we like Naya in the That's second part movie. of it. She yes. has a personality and she is not like some sort of helpless damsel in distress. Like she's actually like she injected herself to save Ethan. And in this case, Julia is just this sort of, well, right. And I guess like blank personality. There are so many other opportunities to potentially stop the disease from getting out short of killing her. Whereas 
really every other person in this room should be like, we're not letting you steal yeah. rabbit's foot. Well, one of the keys to your trolley slash train problem is the, <laughs> the, the question. The go-kart problem, I don't know. <laughs> the question fundamentally changes when it's like, do you save all these people or just this one person? It changes when that one person is someone you know and love. Like yeah. if you're just looking simple math, like obviously you save more people, but if it's someone you know and love, like this is Captain America's problem too. And sure, sure. Anyways. Anyway, Luther like pushes him on it a little bit and then he gives a little breakdown and then Luther's like, all right, okay. Let's go, buddy. So yeah, he, he, he swings onto the top of a building in a way that I still don't fully understand. This is not, to be honest, the movie kind of starts to slow down here. This is, this should be a huge, big stunt. And I don't really understand what he does. So I it had looks it like written, he should shatter his spine. Yeah. So I had this written down as maybe the biggest stunt of the movie, but you're right. There's something a little bit off about it. So Ethan is on the roof with Luther and he's just sort of like hyping himself and he runs off and there's this great free fall scene. Yes. That, that shot is excellent. Yeah. And then he swings and ends up landing on the roof of this other skyscraper, which is the roof is slanted. It's a now, glass slanted ceiling. That part's pretty cool. <gasps> I forgot my another favorite line. Great, but okay. So right before, is it right before Ethan lands that Luther says batter up? It's before he even jumps. jumps yeah. So Luther says batter up. And now we've got oh. this giant baseball shooting machine. We didn't talk about what our cocktail is for this week. Oh my God, we didn't. I need my phone. It's got all the ingredients, but we'll post about it on our Twitter. Guys, it's a cocktail called Batter Up. It has an egg in it. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. very fancy. And we decided to make this one um, because of this scene specifically. Yes. Um, Really didn't work uh, Chad into it. Nope. In any way this time. Nope. uh, it was the egg foam. As Just, always. His butt was hidden. <laughs> Head over to our Twitter to get a, a picture of uh, the batter up. Yes, which will also include an explanation of who actually invented this cocktail. I forget yes. their name right now. And then this movie pulls something kind of weird where we don't see what happens in the building. They, they kind of go no country for old men on us yeah. here. We cut to instead Zen and Declan sitting in a car as Zen begins to tell a story of her childhood pet. I want to talk about this because I feel like extra scenes were cut because Declan then asks her to, so it's, Zen is talking about a prayer that she used to say every time her childhood cat would run away and it was a prayer to bring the cat home. And Declan is like, would you, would you teach it to me? And like, it's very much like, is he hitting on her? Like what's going on This was my number one question. Are they hooking up or are they about to hook up? And is the reason we never see them again that they like got married and retired and had a happy life. So I'm thinking they are, he is hitting on her. So he's yep. trying to hook up with her. And I now choose to believe that that is the storyline that happens. Because I would have watched it. They're, they're a cute couple. They are I'm a cute couple. So as they're having this beautiful moment, Ethan ruins it by calling, saying, look up, look up, look up. And boom. And thus they are now chasing Ethan as he flies through the middle of downtown Shanghai. And he's caught on like many stupid things with his parachute. Yeah. I don't know. This scene just like it, it sort of didn't work for me. Yeah. And then like they're driving around trying to get cell phone reception, which felt not spy. Like I I was like this. What was the line? Like, tell me when you get a signal or bars or something. Yeah, And like, look, it's, it's always silly to try and point out these kind of things. But like, if you can, if you have the technology, 
for her to take pictures of Davian's face and transfer it via like, I don't know, Bluetooth to the machine. <laughs> you should you be able to get a phone, signal. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So the reason why they're trying to get said signal is because they've got about what, two minutes Five less? Minutes, yeah, to call Davian and say, we got the rabbit's foot. So don't kill don't Julia. Kill my wife. <laughs> and um, they finally do get a signal, and Owen rightfully observes that, you know, they had four seconds to go. Yeah. Then what happens? So he gives, Davian gives them a place to meet up, and he says, Ethan, you have to come alone. And basically the rest of the team is like, all right, buddy, see ya. Bye. They peace out. They go back to America where they are instantly arrested by Brazel. Yep. And then Ethan gets picked up in a limo by the super creepy dude who kidnapped Julia. Yep. And he's told to drink um, An, a potion. <laughs> it's in a vial. Yep. And he wakes up in our opening scene. Our opening scene. But yes, now we are back to our opening scene, and the only extra piece of information we have is, well, one, we now know the woman in the chair is Julia. Julia. Two, Tom Cruise has a head bomb. Yes, and I couldn't remember when I was watching the movie. I've clearly blanked out a lot. Um, if we see the whole scene again, we don't. We get yeah. the very beginning of it, and then they fast forward to the end where Julia is shot, and bad guys just kind of. Davian walks out of the room, and yep. again, nice little piece of acting from Tom Cruise here. Like he's not sobbing. He's he he really looks. He's like, in shock. Yeah, he he's just he's not doing anything, and then. No big dramatics here, just like a really nice, shocking reveal. Well, not shocking, but I just like how they reveal it. Mm-hmm. Billy Crudup steps into frame. Yep, and immediately you're like, oh, of course. Of course it was Musgrave, yep. yes. And um, I think I mentioned at the very beginning, Julia had a piece of duct tape across her mouth to keep her from talking. Uh, Billy yeah, Musgrave takes it, pulls off, it off. And as a doing that- A chunk of mask comes yeah. with it. It's, and, it's nice. Yeah, and we learn that it's not actually Julia. It yeah. is Owen's former head of security, the and, woman who let fake Owen get away. Yeah, and their rationale is that um, they needed to know that it was actually the rabbit's foot and not like a, fake a bomb one. or something. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, who boy this scene. Okay. <laughs> Wow, we got a lot to talk about. So, you okay. set it up. Go. So, Musgrave has a nice opening line. I think he says something like, it's complicated. Is yeah. that like the first thing he says? Yeah. Because Ethan's just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So, in episode zero, I said, isn't it interesting how this series has stayed pretty apolitical the entire time? <laughs> Musgrave tells us one, he doesn't like Brassels because Brassel is an affirmative action poster boy. Yeah. Which, wow, that's a big, heavy something to put in your movie that is never going to be addressed again here or in the rest of the series. Yep. But uh, then, and like I was trying to put myself back in the shoes of 2006 and where we were as a planet. Um, I did the math. I figured out I was 19 and I was like, yeah, I wasn't paying attention to anything. I was in school. So we're in, we're in, you know, we are, I don't know, a few years into Iraq and Afghanistan here. And it turns out that Musgrave... Musgrave's plan is to let Davian sell the rabbit's foot, presumably to Iran. They don't name the country, but he says to Mm -hmm. the Middle East. Yep, because it's all one big country. But presumably this is Iran he's talking about. This is around the time that the Bush administration is is floating the idea of, you know, launching another uh, invasion in the Middle East. And he says, we want this to happen because if they have the rabbit's foot, that's going to give us justification to go in there. And then that'll mean jobs for hardworking American families. Yeah, he says, we'll go in there and do what this country does best. Clean up. This is never addressed again. It just comes up now. 
it's a real like kind of it feels like 19 different conversations I overheard in dorm rooms <laughs> in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. I don't think they understood what they were doing, really. Yeah. They, they didn't understand the weight of it when they were building the script. Like, I don't know. Maybe they did, but you're right. It is such a heavy-handed subject. First, this is a Mission Impossible movie. Like, at the end of the day, the point of this movie is to entertain and to make an audience feel like they're having a lot of fun. And to drop such a loaded political topic into a movie. Again, I know, I don't know that they were fully cognizant so we of have, what they were we doing. We have talked before about how this series likes to introduce elements that it is not equipped to deal with the weight of. Yeah. And in the past two, it has been uh, intense adult sexual relationships, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one is like military industrial industrial complex and, and empire and oil and racism. And then boom, we're out. And like, let's just go yeah. blow up some more stuff. I'm like, I don't think it's almost, your movie yeah i it's it reminded me of that first year poli sci student who is learning all this information for yes. the first time and, and he comes is, home for thanksgiving he's name like, dropping and he's just surface level on subjects he doesn't did you know understand. the cia overthrew regimes and, went, and you're like yes i, I did yes. And he's like okay <laughs> good <laughs> but like i guess here's what bothers me about it here's what bothers me about it if you want to introduce that into it that is fine. What you are not addressing is that while you are making this criticism of the uh, Bush administration, your heroes are also American actors who go into foreign countries without authorization and commit acts of violence and destruction, like tearing down the Vatican, yep. to promote the goals of America, to then turn around and try to have 60 seconds of... Yeah, this movie really can't withstand like real political analysis. So. Because you know what would be great? Billy Crudup is so good at playing like a shitty little weasel. Like when he's like, is my cover blown within IMF? Does anybody yeah. know? If he was just like, yeah, Davian's giving me $500 million. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just be great. easier. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, anyway, you kind of have to dismiss that as his motivation because otherwise you will be I, like I us. We'll be it, stuck in a spiral. Very distracting. <laughs> it, well, and I, maybe this is a reflection of also who I was as a 19 year old at university for the first time. Like I had to dismiss it because if I thought too hard about it, I'd be like, no, you've just yeah. ruined this whole movie. So anyway, um, Ethan asks to talk to Julia on the cell phone yeah, uh, Musgrave he, holds the cell phone up to his face. Which he is asks a, a question to make sure it is actually her. Wanaka. <laughs> and then he it should bites. be a password, like a new password. It's not going to be my password, but here, someone, <laughs> if you're looking for a new password, Wanaka. It's great. Wanaka 2006. Yeah. And then he, yeah, he bites Musgrave's hand. Yeah. And that's how he escapes. He headbutts him, escapes, and then he calls Benji. Yes, and now Benji is the only member of the team who's going to assist him through the rest of the movie. Yeah, and I think that is where Benji says, you're on Interpol's most right. wanted. Yeah, and he does decide to help in the end because he's Benji. Yeah. Hard eye emoji. But he's helping him run through Shanghai, even though they are filming in a location that doesn't look anything like Shanghai. Yep. This is a village several miles outside yep. of Shanghai. Um, but very picturesque. Yes, a, very, yeah. very lovely. Um, and we learn that Julia is about like a mile away. And so now we get a classic Tom Cruise running Ooh, and scene. he has got that run down, the stiff back. That, like know. I just was watching and I was like, his back is not moving at all. Yeah. Like it, everything else is moving. And they hold on him for a very long time. I think it's because JJ is equally as fascinated by the run as the rest of us are. Yep. He knows <laughs> like, what. How is he doing? He that? knows what works on camera. I want. I would pay good money. This should be a charitable thing. Here you go, Hollywood. Here's a great idea. 
let's put Tom Cruise in a race against Usain Bolt. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. But now somewhere through the run, and I'm not sure when, but Ethan starts getting headaches that look very similar to what Agent Ferris had going on. So we understand before he's got her brain exploded. minutes left before his brain bomb is going to go yeah. off. So he runs. He runs a whole, whole lot. Yep. And then he makes it to the location where they have Julia. Yep. Um, there's, there's some nice touches here. I like that he's trying to sneak through, but then he knocks over like a mug of pens because he's like exhausted and also, emotional. And his brain is starting brain to is explode. melting down. And I actually think, again, this is where Tom Cruise is so underappreciated for his physical acting and like what that adds to the scene. But you can tell he's basically on the verge of some sort of seizure. And so he's yeah. falling down, but he's still so single minded on I have to get to her. I have to do this. And I and I I almost I almost want just want to jump ahead to it because he, he ends up doing like a really cool action movie thing where he is trying to fight while still holding his head because yes. his head hurts. And so basically he, he finds Julia She's tied to a chair, but then Owen Davian shows up mm-hmm. and he's like, you really thought it was going to be that simple. And they get into a fight. And so he's doing this like elbow fighting. Yes. Where <laughs> his hands are basically he's clutching, like clutching the side of his, his head, head and he just does uppercuts, but with his elbows, which is and entertaining. So I, I thought this fight was pretty excellent. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman cannot move the way Tom Cruise can. But he really successfully conveys that every punch he is throwing, he's thought about, is it. like getting hit with a Mack truck. You know what yeah. I mean? Like um, he he is he is walloping into Cruz. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just it was cool to see him in an action scene. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I'm I can't remember how that fight ends. Oh oh. Go oh, on. It, it ends really well. So he elbow fights him. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can't, you can't see, see that I am elbow fighting <laughs> the air right now. I am shadow boxing <laughs> with my elbows. He he like elbows him out the door. They land on the street and then it's over in the blink of an eye. You think it's on top of him. They roll over. He holds him up as a Mack yes! truck comes. Oh my God. Smacks How into him. How did I forget about this? He's gone. And then you just see a single shoe land. Yes. Land. And it's, it's, they don't dwell on it. They just. No, he's gone. And yeah. it, you know what I like about that? Because. Owen Davies, his character is calculating, right? Like he's thought about every single thing. He's never had to have physical prowess to be frightening or scary. And then he's taken out sort of like as a random act. Like it is pure luck that they happen to roll out onto the street at that time and a truck comes along. It's it's nice. All right. So the reason why I couldn't remember that, now I'm mad at myself. I do remember it now that we've talked about it. But um, the scene that I was excited about talking about here is Tom Cruise, again, basically falling down mid-seizure, trying to set up a way to electrocute himself. So so this is this is pretty cool. So he unties, he unties Julie and he's like, you need to shock the, br- the bomb out of my brain and then bring me back. Yeah. And Julia has no idea what's going She's like, on. I'm sorry. She's at, it's really funny if you listen to the questions she's asking. She's like, who was that? Where are we? How do they know you? And he's like, just, just, just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and he says to her, you need to shock me. And he's like figured out this like bowl system where water falls in and he's got some like frayed wires. Well, yeah, he tests it and it explodes. And he's yep. like, yep, good yep. enough. <laughs> and so he gives her a gun. And he's like, this is how you shoot a gun. Okay, you got it. And she's like, yeah. And he's like. You're going to shock me. Well, no, before he gives, well, as he's giving her the gun, he is again, like falling down. Um, but he explains to her how to use the gun and how to reload, how to reload. it, Yeah, which comes in handy later. Yeah. But then he says, okay, you're going to shock me. And she says, what? I can't kill you. And he's like, you'll bring me back. Yeah. And he says it with great confidence. So she does it. He's dead ostensibly. 
and, and then the bad guys. The show bad up. guys show up, and, and Michelle uses her newly acquired knowledge. And so here's the thing: this whole back third of this movie, we have to appreciate that the reason he is going to risk giving the world's deadliest super weapon to Owen Davian is because of how important this woman is to him, and we've spent no time with her. Yeah. And then the climax of this movie, which could have been a really amazing scene, is Ethan's unconscious and she has to save him. Yep. But, like, I sort of didn't care at the end because this is the first time we actually are seeing this character have agency. It's Yeah, and it's also just a little bit incongruous. Like, I can see J.J. going – because J.J. Abrams has made amazing TV shows and movies with such strong female leads. Mm-hmm. And – yeah, I mean, this is the guy who, like, brought in Ray to Star Wars. Yeah, and, like, Alias. That's yeah, for sure. That's where he, like, made his money. But um, Julia, she does take care of Ethan. She does take these guys out. But all we know about Julia is she's a mild-mannered nurse yeah. who, like, she can tell that something is going on with Ethan. But there's no, like, in what universe would she imagine maybe my boyfriend is actually a super spy and he's saving the world? But she kills these guys, like, I don't know if she's ever fired again before, yeah. but it, yeah, it just like kind of took me out of the moment where I was like, nah. I just sort of didn't care. And then I, she, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? Well, and then she goes and she performs uh, CPR right. on Ethan. So of note, she gets the kill shot on Musgrave. Yes. And I will give Crude up this. He, he has a nice little performance here. As he he's looks like, a little bit like, what did the I, F? Did I, I got shot up like Julia. <laughs> Like I'm, it's not even Ethan who got me. And it like, as he's falling, he's kind of looking down like, oh man. Come on. Bummer. The nurse. Yeah. <laughs> Is she a nurse or a doctor? You know what? Maybe I'm being such an asshole. I don't actually know. I assumed she was a nurse because she's always with the nurses. And we yeah. do see a doctor and the doctor's wearing a white coat. Oh, good call. Yeah, I don't so, know. I'm just thinking of the size of their very lovely home in Virginia. I'm like, well, we know from Mission Impossible 1 that Ethan isn't bringing down big bucks. So, <laughs> I, Well, I don't know. It's well, been right, a while. No, Maybe we did the, the inflation. So, yeah, yeah, actually, he is. Yeah, That's he, a good point. So He's doing I, fine. I, I assumed she was a nurse just because she wasn't wearing the white coat. But, sure. um, but yeah, so then she performed CPR on him, which, like, as anyone who's ever taken a first aid class will tell you, that is frustratingly inaccurate. Yeah, um, and I don't know that she was doing it all that right from the last time I did it, but... Well, also just, like, it can't restart your heart. She'd yeah. have to shock him again, but... Exactly. Well, she does start beating on his chest, and then he does wake yeah. up, he does a whole... <gasps> and the first thing he does is, like, hug her, but, like, this... Oh. this I love this, where he, like, does his whole <gasps> zombie back to life, and he grabs, grabs her, bro- grabs, grabs a the gun. gun. And then he's surveying the area, and he yes. sees all these dead bodies, and he's like, oh... <laughs> And then he's just like, you you did this? And you can tell he's impressed. Yeah. And the whole time she's not doing anything, she's just like holding him and hugging him. I don't know. It was just like, it should have been so much it better. It could have been an amazing moment. If they had spent the time with her that they spent with Naya, yep. I would be so into this scene. And like, again, they didn't need to spend all that time that they did with Naya. They spent 30 minutes right. with <laughs> Naya spent, at the let's beginning. let's call it half the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah. And then, yes, it cuts to him debriefing with Brassel. And Brassel's like, any chance we can convince you to stay? Because like the last two movies, <laughs> Ethan is saying, I'm, I'm retiring for real this time. Yep. And uh, one moment that I did love is Ethan, you know, after he's like, no, I'm leaving. He says, you know, what is the rabbit's foot? Yeah. And Brassel goes, if you stay, I'll tell you. Well, Ethan just laughs. Oh, good one. <laughs> and is like, okay, going on my honeymoon. And, and then we have a very... Uh, I, I don't know. It made me think like of the ending of a number of different episodes of Lost, where we just see the 
the team gathering together and like sharing a piece of cake or something and yep. laughing with each other as the 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 Michael Giacchino score plays. And yeah, then, it's a very like they're cheering them on as they go off on I, their honeymoon. I like that Benji gets to be there. Yep. <laughs> Benji's now a crucial part of the team. And the end. Yeah. Credits play. Mission Impossible 3. And it wasn't a Metallica song playing. It was just like, it was instrumentals, right? Yeah. Where's the Kanye song? We have to figure that out. But anyway, we have questions that we need to ask. So um, first question, classic question is best gadget. Okay. So I'm into the magnet grenade, but it doesn't actually feel like a gadget as much as it does like a weapon. Well, my favorite gadget is the cross bomb. Okay. And it's not even special. I just thought it was hilarious that it was this beautifully jeweled cross that <laughs> explodes. Explodes. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, their version of the grappling gun here. Okay, that's fair. Uh, next question is best stunt. And we've already kind of talked about this, but... There isn't one, really. I think we just got to give Tom Cruise props for letting himself be thrown against a car. Because that yeah. looks painful. Did he do the jump over the gap in the bridge. That is something I couldn't find for sure, but I'm going to assume he did. I mean, even if he did, it's impressive, but I've, I have seen that in other movies. Yeah. So meh to stunts overall in this movie. Okay. Um, MVP of the IMF team. Okay. And we have to say worst person as well. Like least valuable member, most, most valuable, valuable member. I think the most valuable member of this team is Luther this week. All right, all right, go would, on. Would you like me to make my case? Is it because it's in comparison to what Luther does in the other movies? Okay, so I do think if he's going to get it for any movie, uh, it probably has to be this one. I could see actually a case for Fallout, mm-hmm. but uh, I think there's a little stronger case here. Um, he's certainly doing the most. Um, I think he is the ultimate wingman in this movie. Yes. And that he's not just sitting in the truck watching this time. Anytime he's in the truck, he's like manning machine guns or he's, he's actually hacking into something. He's, yeah. he's really doing stuff. He's uh, kind of like, he's an actual pal to yeah. Ethan here. He's trying to give him life advice. Exactly. Um, I also think, so, okay, I do think this is a weak team. I like the performers in it. They have a, a fun vibe and camaraderie. I think they are not the best team IMF has put together. No. And so I think the fact that Luther actually is standing up to Ethan in certain cases and at least getting him to question the decisions he's about to make. Yep. Makes Luther the most valuable. I completely agree. And that sort of dovetails into least valuable member of the IMF team. And I got to say, so first of all, Declan and Zen, like I think maybe with Declan, the screenwriters were hoping here's an attractive man on the team. Like, let's just get more hot people in this franchise. Can't hurt. We'll bring in the young women. You know what? I'll bet that's why they cast him. They were like, get the young women who watch Tudors here. Um, Zen, it's not her fault. She just doesn't really do anything except look real pretty at one point. And then Tom Cruise. So Ethan Hunt, he's the one that keeps leading his team. He makes terrible decisions that puts not only his team at risk, but the entire entire world. world. So Ethan... You're giving Least it to Ethan? valuable member. Okay. I think I have to give it to Declan, and I'm sorry. Don't apologize. Why? So, Ethan, this is not as strong as doubting, but at the end of the day, at least he does get the win. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets both Julia out safely, and he stops the rabbit's foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so that's more than Declan or Zen does. Zen uh, outpaces Declan in my head because she interacts with Davian, which is a more important role than whatever Declan is doing. I guess I just didn't like that too much because the way she gets fake Davian out is through a seduction scene. And I just sure. was like, Ugh, she's That's already fair. basically like naked in this dress. In the like, Vatican, lest yeah. we forget. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's very fair. And I don't know, like Declan was just another, like he was basically one step above Billy from the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Billy was just there and you could tell like he was supposed to be a little bit funny, yeah. but. There's something about pilots in these movies. Yeah. That, like uh, I just thought he didn't really contribute anything except a fun Irish accent and, you know, a shirtless scene. I'm going to stick by my theory that he was cast to bring in a younger teenage right. girl demographic. So you're going with Ethan. I'm sticking with Declan. Well, Ethan, again, was the one who put the team and the world at risk. So, And the other two just kind of did nothing. Fair enough. I think Zen just did a little bit more. Fair. Albeit okay. in all sorts of problematic ways. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, we've already talked about where is Luther sitting this week, and he's not. He's swimming. He's yeah. running. He's He is MVP. I completely agree with you. I should have said that as well. Um, the music in this mm-hmm. movie, meh. You're only a meh on the theme this time? I'm kind of a meh. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty into it. I'm not crazy about the theme, the full theme that airs, uh, or that runs over the closing credits. Mm-hmm. I think I would agree with you. That's like, fine. Yeah. I really like the version, the shorter version that plays uh, at the very start of the movie. Uh, it's got kind of like these nice, like military marching band drums that, uh, works for this movie. So I liked it. I think the reason why I wasn't nuts about it is because I now want my Mission Impossible opening scenes to have montages. And instead, this opening scene was just like fire in the background and names on a screen. Sure. But we're just talking about the theme, right? Yeah, but it's part and parcel. Hand in hand, yeah, okay, you know? right. So okay. I was already disappointed that it was just, you know, text. Yeah. So. Okay, fair enough. I wanted action shots. I'm with you. I like the score in this movie. I agree that the theme is not the strongest, but I do like the shorter version that that plays at the beginning. And I think our homework for next week is to listen to the Kanye West track. Yep. Which we've only just discovered. Um, And I wonder, like, does that mean it was just a really bad track? And that's why, did they commission Kanye? He made this song for Mission Impossible. And then they were like, oh, this is really bad, but it's Kanye. And so they put it, like, at the end of the credits or something like that. I would like a really talented sketch comedy writer to sit down and write out a conversation between 2006 Tom Cruise and 2018 Kanye West. Oh my God. Because what would that even be like? SNL, if you're listening. Take it (laughs) and run with it. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we actually only have two questions left. And they're they're the big ones. They're also kind of hand in hand together. It's we have to rank the directors from MI1 to MI3 so far, and we have to rank the movies. So I'm going to think about this a little bit. Do you have an answer? No, but I can rant for a little while while uh, you think about it, and then we can cut it out if need be. Let's start with the director. (laughs) Okay, so we have more or less avoided talking about J.J. Abrams so far. We've talked about pretty much everybody else in this process. Mm -hmm. This is the debut of J.J. Abrams, who has pretty much risen to... um, the highest possible position of directors making this type of movie, a franchise movie. The yeah. man now runs Star Wars. He also has Star Trek. He has his own Cloverfield series. Yep. I think there was a really interesting idea here of 
we're doing a TV adaptation. What if we got a guy who is actually really good at directing TV? Hmm. And I don't think it totally worked out quite well. I think he gets it much, much better in Star Trek a few years later. The same idea of like 60s TV brought into the present. Um, That said, I think this is a fantastic debut. I think there are gigantic flaws in the script, but this thing really holds together. It really moves. There's great flow. If you consider the pieces he had to pick up and put together, this is far better than it has any right to be. So that is where I give J.J. Abrams a lot of respect because... As I think I mentioned at the very beginning, I wasn't actually nuts about this movie. I yeah. liked it. I was just bored by certain yeah. parts of it. And I think um, that's fair. Yeah. And then I think about what J.J. Abrams walked into, which is your directorial <laughs> debut is this $184 million or whatever the budget was for the movie. Yeah. It's huge. It's bigger money than you've ever worked with before. Two renowned, respected directors have walked from the project, and we also, just, excuse me, one renowned, respected director. <laughs> I'm sorry, smoking aces, boo. <laughs> I listen. I had no beef with Carnahan <laughs> until you told me what he said about Mission Impossible Two. Well, I hated that too. So now I have beef with him. Yes. Um. So I think to walk into this project and to create a movie that is good, if not great, it is very good. Good job, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Um, I also think he was... Hmm, how much do I want to lean into this? I think he was more successful than John Woo uh, at merging his own interests with those of the series as a whole. And I don't feel some of the disconnects I have felt with the previous two movies. Okay. So I uh, I don't know what I I guess we're supposed to rank him in alongside Wu and De Palma. Yeah, and so like I'm gonna stand by my I'm having trouble actually deciding yeah, how to make this I decision. I gotta be honest, I don't like ranking people. <laughs> Can I we know. just stop ranking people? <laughs> I know. Why don't we just cut this question and rank the we movies? We think everyone did the best that they yeah, could. <laughs> we can give a nice. We're Canadians. Yeah. Is, yeah, we can give a nice commentary on each director yeah. each time, but I'm not gonna rank them. Because yeah, no, I, it's I like different. that. If if they all had to go and direct Mission Impossible 2, I'd be comfortable directing them. Yeah. But, like, they they didn't. They all did their own yes. thing. So we're not ranking. And that's I, the that's, point yes. of each. That's the whole idea behind this franchise. Each director is going to come and do something different. They're going to put their own stamp on it. So in terms of the movies I enjoyed, 2 is still number one for me, mm-hmm. followed by MI3, followed by Mission Impossible. And this is honestly, I'm not thinking about, you know, the politics. I'm not thinking about the scripting, the stunts. I'm just thinking about pure entertainment value. Which movies did I enjoy the most? Okay, I am struggling right now Mm -hmm. to separate out the ranking that has been in my head for the past several years, which feels like the established truth Mm -hmm. and what I am experiencing now on the rewatch. If I was to give you my honest, honest, honest answer right now of what is the rankings, it would be Mission Impossible 2, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 1, okay, Mission Impossible 3. Okay. That sounds incredibly wrong to my own ears. <laughs> and yet, that's where I'm choosing to... So why is this one last on the list for you? The highs are not as high. The ideas are not as idea-y, and the flaws stand out more in this one than they do in any other movie. Okay. 
why I am so reluctant is because I think its strengths are a little more subtle than the other two, and I don't want to undervalue those. As I've said, the acting, great. And I really do think the pacing and flow of this one is is better than the other two. Mm-hmm. It just sucks that the most boring chunk of this movie ends up being the end. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it left me cold. So to reiterate. I don't think it's that I like number three less than you. I think I like number one more than you. You definitely like number yeah. one more than me. I don't. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. And that is why it is last on my list. Okay. Expect my opinion on this to change. Mine probably will too. Okay. I, I don't think one will ever rise though, but. <laughs> Still going to be the worst. Two and three will change. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We have new episodes every Thursday now starting next week. And thanks, as always, to Aaron Kossar for our awesome logo. If you like us, please rate, review, and subscribe. And we wouldn't mind if you told a friend or two. And if you really like us, please visit patreon.com slash Kim and Billy Talk for exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter at Kim and Billy Talk and see the show notes for details. Also me referring to the IMF as IMF. Just <laughs> didn't even bat an eye. No, it is IMF. You called it M-I-F. Damn it. Yeah, it's You know okay. what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's uh, 